Quarter to Three Board Games Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Vital Lacerda's CO2. Wow. Uh, my name is Tony Carnavali, and I am not playing Gloomhaven. Yeah. Well, my name is Bruce Garrick, and I'm not playing Chronicle. <laughs> but you are. You, you actually. That's one we forgot to put. No, it's on the. You are playing it. You no, I'm not to... playing it right now, and I'm not playing it ever again. Oh, that's right. Okay, well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah. So, uh, sometimes folks go on a vacation and they go skiing. Uh, sometimes folks go on a vacation and they go scuba diving. A, a friend of mine right now, she's on a vacation in Iceland to see the Aurora Borealis. Uh, we, me and Tony Carnavale, have come to visit Bruce Garrick up here in Portland to go on vacation and play board games. That's crazy. I mean, you guys are weird. What's wrong? Uh, it's yeah. been awesome, though. We've gotten one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine, we need to make it a perfect ten. Yeah, we'll make it ten after the five. Okay, so we played nine games, and what we're going to do is tell you what the games are, uh, maybe why we played it, and then briefly hold forth about each one. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, So, uh, let's start. Before I got here, you guys could not be bothered to wait for me. You were just so eager to go. Uh, What did you start playing before I got here? So, yeah, before Tom got here, Bruce and I busted out... The War of the Ring, and we're not talking about the one from the seventies. We're no. talking about the one from the two thousands, and not even that one. Not That's even, right. Like it's not just the one that, that like I have at home. No, with all the red plastic pieces that are unpainted. Right. It is Bruce Garrick's extremely deluxe pre-painted edition. I didn't paint them. No, correct. That's why I said pre-painted. pre-painted. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, What's it technically called? Yeah. It's called the. Um, War of the Ring Anniversary Edition. Okay. Uh, it was meant to come out for like the 70, or no, some, some anniversary of, uh, Hobbit books. of the, some books that uh, J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien wrote. Yeah. But um, they, of course, missed it because all board games are delayed, and this one was delayed by about a year and a half. So they missed it, but it's still called the Anniversary Edition. So, um, And there's, a, there's actually an expansion out for it called uh, uh, Warriors of Middle-Earth. For, for, wait, for the for the anniversary edition? Yes. Oh, yeah. I can show it to you afterwards. Oh. It's uh, it's it's more painted. It's, it has uh, you know painted ents and. Uh, oh well, that is the expansion yeah. step I was asking about. Yeah. So, so War of the Ring uh, came out. It's a fantasy flight thing. It's got a ton of miniatures before miniatures were necessarily used as a, as a sales boondoggle. Uh, and it's just a big sprawling recreation of the Lord of the Rings books. And they later added the expansion, which now looks like it's part of that that big collector's edition you've got. So what made you and Tony break this out before I got here? Why did you go to that? Well, I think that uh, Tony was interested in seeing it. Yeah. Um, Tony is, uh, you know, he's steeped in the lore of uh, Lord of the Rings. I mean, he knows, uh, you know, he knows who Frodo is. Uh, he has a... He can tell Mary from Pippin. He, uh, he, yeah, and he, he, has a, he has a general idea of uh, Mordor, the concept of what that is. <laughs> you say uh, that like you're being sarcastic, but I do... I, I wouldn't say I'm steeped in it, but I certainly... Read the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I was very into it growing up. Uh, I think I may be somewhat less into it than you, considering I'm looking at your computer desktop and it is a map of Middle Earth. That's not there, really. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, the thing, is, Bruce, I hate to tell you this, is not as trendy to make fun of people for knowing about Middle Earth as it was before the Peter Jackson movies. Mm-hmm. This is pop culture now. I you know. might as well make fun of someone for knowing who Iron Man is. Yeah, I was exactly. into I was into Lord of the Rings before the Peter Jackson movies. Right. And, nah, yeah. We all were. Come on, right, we're right, all right. kind of guy. Yeah. But but Bruce definitely knows more. He has more of the lore at his fingertips than I do, for sure. I'm no like, Stefan Janicki. 
Okay. And how did this serve him in the actual gameplay? Oh, it served him very well because, and by the way, when we say we played the War of the Wing, the War of the Wing. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough beer for you. (laughs) When we said we played the War of the Wing, we didn't actually play the the full game. We just we we played a couple turns, just kind of dipped our toes in. Probably about. 10, 15. We played for a couple hours. Okay. Then uh, I think what we had to we took we stopped because um, we had to uh, you had to incorporate a third player who had just arrived. Me. Well, yeah, yeah. We had, yeah. Well, yeah, we stopped. We had to stop and then go pick Tom up at the airport. And then um, yeah, and then that was and of course then we had three players. So and Tom wouldn't play Saruman. Yeah. So exactly. So the way being steeped in the lore really helps you is. I had to keep asking, okay, who are these guys? What are are those elves? <laughs> Why are uh, there elephants? Because they're there? so tiny, I can't see their ears. You know, I knew the riders of Rohan were were the riders of Rohan because they all have horse heads on their shields. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, those are the riders of Rohan. That's easy. But um, for everybody who wasn't one of the principal characters, like Legolas, Gimli, am I blowing you away with my knowledge? <laughs> um, uh, I, I generally wasn't 100 percent sure. Uh, who they were, especially on the like the the free people's side, the good guys' side, the bad guys. I know what a Nazgul looks like, roughly. Um, but yeah, Bruce was able to immediately. He knows, you know, based on the region the character is in and what it looks like, what it is. What's really going on here, though, is that Bruce has played the game a lot and you haven't. That's also true. Right. Which is which is going to happen with another game. Uh, that we played, but yes, I mean, this is—it's not so, less, so much that I have, uh, you know, exquisite command of the lore. It's just that the game plays a certain way, and uh, I've actually lost the game quite a few times. I tend to play it like a war game more than the, like the combo sort of hybrid Euro war game RPG. Well, it's an RPG that it is, but um, but uh, it, it, the game has a certain flow, and you have to know certain cards. There are a lot of whammy cards um, that you have to sort of look out for. Uh, you know, if a, if a character's in a certain place, if like if Saruman's alone in Orthanc and you play the, I can't remember, it's one of the Ent cards, uh, you can eliminate him, which costs the uh, Sauron a die, and it's just... Uh, it may, it actually yeah. makes, you hearing you describe that, it makes me realize that it has things in common with Twilight Struggle that you like. Totally. Where there's a deck of cards that, that has events that influence right. the map, mm-hmm. and knowing that deck of cards gives you much more awareness of the possibilities and what you may or maybe shouldn't do. I think it's part of the skill of learning a game, and I yeah. think that that's one of the things that I actually don't like about the current board game, I don't know what you call it, climate, or the the, the zeitgeist of board gaming, which is that uh, you know people want people to pick up a game, and they want to bring it to game day, and they want to teach people, and uh, they want to have everybody be able to sort of have a rough... Uh, ability to win, you know. Obviously, there aren't there are people who have different skill levels or different calculation abilities, whatever. But it, it, there's no there's no knowledge of the game required, you know, a priori, right? You, yeah. And and I I actually don't like that. I really like playing the game the second time, the third time, the fourth time. Um, and I think that that just isn't people don't want to do that. There are too many games coming out. People don't want to play them over and over. Which is why I actually bring out War of the Ring uh, every time somebody comes over that hasn't played it because I want to play it again uh, and I like getting people involved and maybe they'll pick it up again um, I think it gets people much more um, pe- people gravitate to it with the painted figures, the map is much bigger than the right. the regular War of the Ramp they have more room um, it's just a nicer production and so that people are naturally um, naturally attracted to it. Uh, Tony has a, has a particular uh, Phrase for this, it's called playing with dollies. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, yeah, Bruce, I, I absolutely understand and appreciate the enjoyment that you gain from playing and replaying a game, and I 
a, uh, I would like to have more of that in my life. I do think I have I have all these games, and I haven't played most of them more than once or twice. But I do think it's funny that you began that uh, what you just said by saying, "Wow, Tom just okay, all right, something, <laughs> just, something interesting just happened." <laughs> Never mind, everyone. Uh, I do think it's interesting that you that that you started what you just said by saying. People want to bring a game to a gathering, and they they want everybody to be able to play it, and they want people to understand the rules and and you know have a good time just uh, that that one session. Well, of course, people want to do that. People you know, people have limited time, uh, and of course, if they bring a game to a thing, they want people to be able to pick up the rules relatively quickly and, and enjoy that playthrough, that first playthrough. Yeah, I, uh, and I, I absolutely, I, I, and I think that I think it's a good thing that I some crazy. games can be. Uh, I wouldn't say you sound crazy. I just think <laughs> I just think it's it's completely understandable and. Uh, why people would want to be able to enjoy a game on their first playthrough, and I think it's a good. Th- I think it's a good thing that it's fashionable for games these days to be graspable, maybe not masterable in the first playthrough, but at least playable and enjoyable on the first playthrough. Yeah. Well, it, it does remind me it, to, to jump forward to another thing that we played. That this one of your games, Garrick. Uh, we played a game called Time of Crisis, which is a kind of deck builder, uh, ancient Roman Empire. Four-player elbow-throwing territory control kind of game, yeah. uh, and one of the keys to it is you're these Roman factions, and you're vying for control of uh, you're vying for being the emperor controlling Rome. We're talking uh, about time of crisis. Time of crisis, right? <laughs> it's, you know, it's a GMT game. Uh, we're playing it with uh, me and Tony are the new guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bruce and uh, that was Evan, right? Evan, sure. Yeah, yes. Bruce and his friend Evan uh, have both played it a lot, and we're maybe halfway into the game. And Tony is running away with it. He's got this huge lead in points, and I'm kind of okay with the game, and I can see the appeal of it, but I'm thinking, this game is so bad and whimsical that the two guys who are really good at it are losing. (laughs) The guy who's just come to the game, who's never played it before, who's just beginning to get his head wrapped around it, is just randomly kind of trying different things to learn it, he's going to win. He's going to shut it, and this to me is a sign of a very specific kind of game where you just show up and things happen, and there's a lot of whimsy, and maybe the first the guy who's never even played it before could win just as easily as the guy who's played it twenty times, mm-hmm. uh, and and that I think is something that I that's a very specific kind of game, and it has a role with a very specific type of group at a specific time. If you just want to sort of hang out and spin out this activity and have stuff happen, uh, but I'm kind of with you in that I I prefer. I don't mind playing other kinds of games, but I prefer games that I will win if I have played a lot more than any other person. Okay. So, so it's time of crisis, so a whimsical game where, where the person... Well, let's talk about how that turned out. So you guys did War of the Ring. Tony, real quick, would you say thumbs up or thumbs down on War of the Ring? Um, you, you Actually, to be fair, you barely got a chance to... Barely got a chance. It's not really fair for me to evaluate it. I um, Would you play it again? That'll be our gauge. I would play it again. Okay, and Bruce, we know you would play it again. I'd play, I'll play War of the Ring anytime. Anybody listening to this podcast... Come on over. I'll break out the anniversary edition. You can uh, you can play with the dollies, as Tony says. All right, we'll uh, give really out like Bruce's uh, phone number at the end of the podcast. <laughs> for that. So let, let's jump to time of crisis because so I had immediately halfway through. I'm like, this game is just silly. Tony's going to win. These two guys who've played it a million times and are really hip to the strategy and the cards, they're falling behind. This is a, a dumb game. Had, had you played it that, a lot of times? Evan had, I think, only played it once or twice before. Okay. I played it maybe. I want to say six or seven times, yeah, which seven I think times. is a lot in no, the, no, in the current climate, show. probably for sure. board game show. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, how then did that game actually turn out? So, Tony, you were the one. You're in the lead. You must have been thinking the same thing. Sort of like, oh my god, I'm beating these guys. No, I knew, I don't think I was. First of all, I don't think I was running away with the game. I did have the most points 
for a, a little while in the beginning. Right. But it was like, by most points, I mean, I had a, maybe ten points, and maybe the next person had five points. But you were also pushing up this track that gives you a lot of points at the end if you're highest up on you the got track. To, you were the emperor. You I were was the emperor, emperor first, so and I was the emperor for a good five or six turns or and something. And at the end of the game, that's going to come back and reward whoever was emperor longest. So yeah. I thought you were also going to run away with that bonus. Yeah, but I never... I knew that I was going to... Lose even then. I didn't think I was gonna because <laughs> I knew I didn't do. understand what was really going on. And uh, but um, yeah, I never at any point really thought that I was gonna okay. gonna win that game. Now, did, did you feel the same way? Like, were you like me thinking, "Wow, he's doing really well. He might win." Uh, so that can the uh, time of crisis is an interesting game in which um, there really is this thing called the runaway emperor problem. So um, right, it's a it's a it's a known thing, and um, it just it depends on people playing the game right. <laughs> I say right, meaning yeah, you know, people play games. They have a lot of different reactions to people. You know, a four-player game can have a lot of interpersonal reaction uh, responses that that throw the game a certain way. And the the problem with Time of Crisis is it's this uh, sort of modeling of, of the late Roman Empire where all these uh, people are sort of uh, competing for the for the emperor's throne. And when they get there, they start gaining a lot of legacy, which is the victory points of the game. And not only do you get a lot of legacy for being the emperor, but you gain um, bonus points at the end of the game for the person who's been the emperor longest. So you can sort of, if 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 you're playing a three player game and somebody becomes the emperor, you need to nail that guy because he. If you fight each other, then you just might as well just quit and go get a sandwich and let the guy you know win and just call the game. I like sandwiches. Um, yeah, sandwiches <laughs> are great. Um, but uh, and we've been warned about all this beforehand. Like we, this we, is part yes. of the teaching us yeah, the game is right. explaining this. Yeah, right. explaining that. I, I think I when I when I walked through the game, I, I explained it what was going on. So. When when that happened to Tony, but I Evan was next to me, and I saw I knew Evan knew what to do, and <laughs> as soon as we had, it's a deck building game too, right? So you can't really just all of a sudden you, you have to do certain things, right? So I, I was buying enough military cards. I had the the blue the the Senate cards to vote myself in as emperor when I needed to, um, and then. Uh, Evan started attacking, and then pretty soon uh, Tony got cut way down to size, got kicked out of being emperor, and uh, and then the rest of the game was basically me and Evan uh, fighting each other for, and when we ended up uh, way ahead, and it was a photo finish basically. I mean, we each at the end of the game, uh, we each had the exact same number of victory points. It goes to sixty, and I think we both had like. 70-something, whatever. You couldn't have had 70-something if it goes to 60. Well, you stop, you stop the game at 60, and then after that, you add your bonuses. So I think it did actually come out to 70-something. Um, but we, had, we both had the same number of victory points, and, and it, the ties were broken by uh, who had been the upper longest, and that was me. So uh, the game kind of ended up exactly the way I thought it would be, which was that the two players who knew how the game worked and knew how to build their decks and knew what the considerations were we're going to win the game, uh, and so I really knew that I had to. I had to beat Evan, yeah. um, and I wasn't so concerned because uh, you know the, in the late game you really it's, you really have to be able to um, to deal with sort of fo- focus on what the threats are, know who the threat is. Um, there was a point where I was the emperor and I had to kill this uh, rival rival emperor that was sitting like in in Syria or something. Um, and the I knew that, king. Yeah, he was under my aegis. I was yes. protecting the yes. guy so he would mess with the exactly. Yeah. And so my I, buddy, my at ally. some point, I just decided, okay, I'm, and it's a, it's an interesting deck builder where you actually draw the cards from your available 
uh, available pile that you want. You right? pick your cards. It's you not like cards. there's no drawing. You just go through your deck and say, I'm going to use this this turn. Right, yeah, right. And then, and then they discard, and then when, you're, right. when your deck cycles, then you have your, your cards again. Um, but, uh, but I knew which cards I needed to have ready, and then I had one army go and, and deal with one thing, and then I had the other guy go kill a pretender, and then I was getting my legacy, and then, you know, the game... Uh, actually, Evan should have won that game. Uh, he just he whiffed on a roll against the Barbarians where he lost a battle. If he had won that battle, he would have gotten an extra two or three legacy, and he would have won. So uh, there's some luck to the game, which is... Uh, actually, I like that. Um, but yeah, that's a game that you need to play over and over, yeah. and I would enjoy playing that over and over. So I, I got the sense, because I, I feel it's one of those games, and I mentioned to you guys before, that you get taught it, and you, then you start playing it, and halfway through you realize, okay, I'm kind of seeing how this should work, and then you're stuck for another like hour, hour right. long, realizing, okay, I'm, I'm just losing this game. Yeah. Next time I play, I'll know how it works. But it's one of those games that you unfortunately have to play wrong once, mm-hmm. and basically lose egregiously, yep. and just... Yep. Put in your time sitting there while other people play it, and then next time I come around and play, I would I would get a sense for it. But I think Tony and I just did put in the homework to eventually be able to play it for real one day. Yeah, and I would play it again. I, yeah. I could now that I played it once, I could see how I would enjoy playing it a second time and having a deeper understanding of it. And I like that uh, idea in a deck builder of not. One of the cool things about a deck builder is this idea of there's the randomness of the deck, but then you can affect that by what cards you're buying. This is kind of weird, and I like the twist of it's a deck builder without any of that randomness of drawing. Yeah. Your deck is actually kind of like a huge hand of cards. You're just deciding which ones you're going to pull out to play on any given turn, and deciding that partly is based on anticipating what you might need to do. So yeah. there's some prediction required, but there's none of this shuffle the deck and then, oh, I didn't get a black mana or whatever, or, oh, I didn't draw my uh, Inspector yeah. Lestat, or, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, you didn't, have the, you didn't have the cards that you needed because you didn't anticipate the problem you were going to have. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, I think, a, which is, I think, a great way to play a deck builder. Yeah, I liked that as well. That was great. So, for, for, for that, yeah, I would definitely play that again, and I respect what it does differently, because that's a huge thing for me, is a game that does something in a different way. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I think we all liked Time of Crisis, but only one of us in this room actually really played it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's jump to... uh, So here's my issue, though, with Time of Crisis, and I I don't know what it is, and this really is just... I have some weird predilection to get completely turned off of Roman Empire theming. Okay. And I swear, if Time of Crisis were anything but the Roman Empire, I would be more excited about it. What, if it, what if it were like in the... Like Whatever you're going to say, my answer will be yes, I would prefer that. Go ahead. Fading Suns Universe. With oh like my the, god, the I would be demanding be like that we Space Pope. This is brilliant. Yeah. This game is beautiful. Yeah. And all the, I mean, it is, to be fair, the theming of the Roman Empire with the barbarians coming in and the importance of the emperor, it's very well done. And this idea of the Fodorati card, like once I realized how that worked, I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. The Romans pressing barbarians into service. There's some really nice theming in there, but it's just, I have this this weird, inexplicable spot where it's something that, that's Roman Empire themed. It's just, get it away from me. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, So here there is where theming, Bruce, was an issue for you. We played, Tony, you play a lot of hearts. Or you not play a lot. You like hearts. Which I like is hearts. A yeah, boring. Sure. It's not a real game. It's not one of those boring. Old people no, games. It's a good game. Uh, we played a game called Chronicle, which is a Seiji Kanai design. The fellow that did Love Letter uh, that you showed me a long time ago. Uh, so tell me about what what is Chronicle. Explain what Chronicle is. Uh, Chronicle is sort of a is it's like hearts on steroids. It's mm-hmm. um, hearts with a little bit of 
a little dusting of theme, not a very heavy theme, but a little bit of medieval uh, characters and roles type of a thing. And, and just medieval fantasy, too. Dragons yeah, that's and witches. True. Yeah, that's true. And uh, a little bit of power. The, the cards have additional powers in addition to just their ability to take a trick or not take a trick. Um, and it's uh, it's just hearts with some additional fun little traits. And so when you showed it to me the first time we tried it, I remember not being super into it, but still curious about it. And as I got to, into more of Seiji Kanai's games, I was like, I want to go back and look at this Chronicle thing. And I really like it. Uh, and I was sure Bruce would like it, and we played it. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it, it was a... It was a I mean, it was another game, by the way, too, where I felt since I'd played it more recently, and maybe even at this point more than you, I don't know how much you've played it, I felt like coming to it, I was like the guy like you guys were in Time of Crisis, where I kind of knew the systems mm-hmm. a little better and the interactions and what to look for. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up winning, but not feeling like it was any great accomplishment, because mm-hmm. I was watching you guys familiarize yourselves with the cards. Yeah. Um, but I really liked it, and I was like, yeah, I think I've turned these guys on in this game. Tony, I knew you already liked it. I was sure that it seemed like right up Bruce's alley. Bruce, what was your issue with Chronicle? A solid Seiji Kanai design that uh, you should totally be into. So I I, um, I want to explain a little bit about what the game does, and then I'll tell you what I thought about it. And I've actually, I actually thought more about it after I played. Like, when I got up this morning, I had a different thought about it than when I, we played it last night, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, so Chronicle is basically... Actually, I, I have to say I've never played Hearts, um, but it's a trick-taking game where you play a, a, a card that has a number and a suit, and you know the high card of the suit wins the trick, or the low card of the suit can win the trick if if you play a certain card that, that inverts the rules. But basically, all the cards you're playing, all the cards you're playing are, um, they're basically playing cards. There's, I mean, there's a face and there's a number and there's a suit, but there's also a special power, and and that's the whole point. Like you play the card and then a power goes off. And, uh, you know, you take the cards uh, after each trick and some of the um, some of the cards will uh, say that, you know, they'll change the victory conditions. So, you know, yeah. usually you have the, the most of, you know, the, the most cards at the end is the winner. But then uh, some of the cards will say or you start with a you start with a, a victory condition that yeah. says, you know, the, 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 the person with the fewest power cards in the end. Uh, is actually the winner. So it doesn't matter how many cards you win, you just don't want to win any power cards. So don't win any of the blue... Power cards are just a yeah. suit. Yeah, suit, yes. It's exact. Power cards Real, real quick, just to interject, because I think this is a, a point of similarity with the love letter. Mm-hmm. It's a relatively short game, mm-hmm. and you play until someone has won a certain number of right. games. Right. They're called fame points here. They're tokens of affection in love letter. I think they're just victory points in, in Lost Legacy. Yeah. So you're playing short rounds, and it's the first person to win a, a three points. Right. And each round has a different victory condition. Right. And, and people can add Get multiple people can actually win uh, right. a, a point, which I don't think is the case in Hearts, right? Uh, well, in Hearts, people can certainly tie as far as how well or poorly they do. Uh, in Hearts, you want as, of course, as few points as po- you want as few to collect as few Hearts as possible. Right. And if you and somebody else collect the same number of Hearts, then you both. Oh, both. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's the same. It's the same thing here, right? So if you have. If um, if the victory condition is have their, their, the the what are the oh, okay. so so like unlike hearts yeah. where the victory condition is the same every mm-hmm. hand have the fewest hearts have the fewest hearts or, or shoot, shoot the moon, the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in chronicle the victory condition is different every hand mm-hmm. um, so yeah 
that's a huge difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference, and 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 um, there are these things where I mean, it's very, it's 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 in theory very well themed. So there's the uh, there are these cards that are evil cards. So if you uh, end up with an evil card, uh, it will it will basically take you out of the running. Even if you've won, uh, you're not eligible to win uh, fame points at the end. And it just the fame point is just a victory point that you get for winning that hand. Um, and so if you have an evil card in your in your allies, it's just the card that's you know they renamed everything. But the the cards that are sitting that you've won, if an evil card is in there, then uh, you don't. Get you got to you got to get those away from right, you if right. you want to win the game. Right. All right. And so there are ways of discarding those cards. You can play other cards that will allow you to discard cards that you've won. So they go into the, the uh, discard pile, which is the graveyard. Um, and then uh, there's an angel card, which if you get her into your allies, then she negates all the evil cards for that round, and you can you know uh, gain the victory points if you're if you're eligible for them. Um, and I mean, and, and in theory, it's very well themed. Um, in terms of you know, there's the there's love, there's wisdom, and there's power. I think those are the three those things. Those are the three suits, yeah. And the three suits are just three colors, and each color has a different uh, number. And each the, the you know the, the the ten of the ten of power is the general, and the ten of uh, wisdom is the uh, wizard, wizard, and the ten of um, Ooh, uh, love is it? the it, the ten of love is the bishop. It's almost no. like a tarot yeah, deck, yeah. sort of. Yeah, sort of. Oh yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> and so, I'm thinking. You know, I'm looking at the stuff, and there's there's a there's a dragon card that destroys all the other cards, and there's a, see, and this is the thing that I was thinking about uh, last night after we played, and I got up this morning. I was like, eh, maybe I like this game a little better than I thought I did. But the thing that that kind of gave it away for me was when you said you kept referring to, and I'm talking to Tom. I'm looking at Tom and saying. Uh, Tom said to me, you know, the, you know, the whole thing is about getting out the, you know, the three of the the the, the red three, right? Not the not the maid of love, but the red three, and uh, and, and the three is what changes the. Yeah. Uh, so normally the highest number card played takes the trick, right? Uh, but if the three has been played, it changes that rule for that hand, not for that hand, for that trick only, so that the lowest number played takes the trick. Right, so it changes the rules. Um, But Tom wasn't thinking about any maids or any love or any anything like that. He was just thinking about a three, a three Mm -hmm. card. Mm -hmm. So all of the theming is just kind of out the window. I mean, there's really, the cards are really nicely produced, they look nice, the art's nice, I really like it, but it, nobody cares about this. Nobody cares what the maid did to the bishop. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, eh. You're so wrong. I, I'm not wrong, <laughs> oh, because so you proved wrong. it yourself. You were the exhibit A for why the theming doesn't matter, because you don't even think of the theming when you play the game. You've already just explained the dragon destroying everything and the <laughs> angel redeeming everyone from evil. Mm-hmm. The fact that the the arbitrary name he came up for each number that nobody remembers that and yeah. it doesn't thematically relate that's to the other failure. things. That's that's not the theming though. The theming to me is how each rule set that determines victory is given a name and ties into a specific kind of card. Like for instance, we had when the demon, there's the demon, is the evil card that always wins. And when the demon is in your hand, you've either got to have the angel or you've got to figure out some way to get around that demon because it's wild. You're not going to get to put it face down. Uh, so in the in the age of demons, for instance, you want those evil cards. Like the theming isn't consistent throughout and it's not going to give you a narrative for every interaction, but I think it does it where it's important. It does it at enough important points that it's there and it's worth paying attention to. What's the three of power? I could not tell you. I couldn't tell you, except for the tens and the ones. I couldn't tell you any of them. Yeah. Three of power is the sergeant. Wow. I don't even know if you made that up. But this to me, that. this to me illuminates a, something of a 
of the difference in what is important in games to Tom and Bruce. Because uh, Tom vehemently believes that a game uh, can be easily, as he puts it, obsoleted (laughs) by another game if if the second game does something better. It does the main thing better than the it, first it, it game. It recreates does. the experience in a better way. In a better way. It improves with, on the experience, the, right. with a better twist. The basic makes, experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether it makes it more streamlined but or, or accomplishes the same thing in less time or if it's more interesting in some and way. And just to give folks an example that I think would illustrate my thinking and, and certainly clarify when they disagree with me. Battlestar Galactica, really cool game. Lots of people know it. My problem is you can recreate that basic experience of interacting and one of you being a traitor in a third of the time by playing a game called Dark Moon. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, for perfectly good reasons, don't like Dark Moon but do like Battlestar Galactica. And whereas Bruce um, does not believe in the concept of a game being so quote-unquote obsoleted by another game if the two games have different themes because uh, in Bruce's view a game that has a theme about for instance Vikings fighting each other is a game about Vikings fighting each other and a game about feudal Japan and samurai and stuff even if uh, in terms of game structure and rules and what actually takes place in the game and systems and mechanics, if it's similar, it can be similar to the Viking game, it can, and the mechanics can improve on the Viking game, but it can never obsolete the Viking game because it's about feudal Japan. And if you want to play a game about Vikings, you're not going to have an experience about Vikings when you play the game about feudal Japan. Right. Yeah, and I think that, that part of that is, is my sort of... My, most of my, my interest is in historical games, historical war games. And... I don't care if a game system does, you know, um, you know, D-Day really, 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 really well. If there's another game that does the Eastern Front really well, and we just had, we're having some technical. Uh, no, no, it's just it, it, I don't know if you know this. Monitors go to sleep sometimes. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that the entire computer didn't go to sleep. Sleeping monitor. Yeah. So, All right. yeah. T-Zone, T-Zone was afraid of the sleeping monitor. <laughs> I just know there have been multiple times where both of you have recorded podcasts <laughs> where after the fact there's been a hangdog email saying, guys, I'm sorry, none of that that we thought was recorded had, was actually recorded. Well, Garrett, uh, bring, bring us still get to, that. To, to Chronicle. So, so explain how, how you feel this, like, fits into you not being into Chronicle. So I just feel, felt like I was doing too much m- mechanical calculation with no with no payoff for me, okay. right? So I will do a whole bunch of mechanical calculation if, you know, 6th Guards Tank Army takes Berlin, okay? That's great for me, and I'll do all the whatever and figure out whatever, how many anti-tank points somebody has, but if you do that exact same thing in some kind of abstract game, I, I just I have no interest, and I, that's, what, that's one reason I really don't like... Uh, Straight card games where there's just a deck right. of cards, you know, right. with you know, well, here's a here's a great game you can do with a deck of fifty two cards. I don't care. I don't want to play it. It's, right. I have no interest. I don't want to do that kind of calculation for that. I ne- I need some sort of narrative theming that will because I'm I'm more I'm really in a kind of an imaginative player. I mean, a lot of my interest in playing historical war games is how those things sort of pick up on the history and and how I you know I'm immediately go to to my library every single time that I play a historical war game trying to figure out what, what are the things that happened is this something that's, that's legitimate or not legitimate or how did they, the designer look at these thing, different elements and 
if it's just a you know just a set of mechanics, I just it doesn't. I I can appreciate good mechanics, but if they're just mechanics, I just don't I don't I don't care. It I, I really leaves me cold. So the, I I really I think you're being too hard on Chronicle, and I bet you're kind of at the place where I was after I first played with Tony. <laughs> and if you were to sit down again and see how the parts interact, regardless of the fact that the three of power being a sergeant has no bearing on the three of love it's being true, a maid, by the way. Uh, I bet if you were to sit back down and sort of see how those parts interact mm-hmm. and see how you have to. Because so one of the things I like that I brought up, every card is always in play. Mm-hmm. You know, when he did Love Letter, which is very simple, he sort of stipulated, okay, one of the cards has to be taken out of the play, so there's some guesswork. Mm-hmm. You know, is the is the bishop, or is one of the princes going to be there? Every card always in play in Chronicle. So when you play a card, and every card always face up, the mm-hmm. only thing you don't know after cards have been played, are what cards people are still holding. Right. So the more you play, the more information is revealed, and the more you know when it's safe or not safe to do certain sure. things and what things are still lurking out there. And I think if you were to play it more, you would start to appreciate some of that intricate interaction mm-hmm. uh, and let go of the fact that a three beating a general... Like, like I agree with you. Those are just... It's sort of like they had to come up with some word to give cards that represented the suit of power and cards for love. Why? And, uh, why? Because when you make games that aren't straight Euros, you want artwork for them. You want to capture a player's but imagination. Why put the name on it? Why not just have a guy why not with just a, have artwork with a, and just call yeah. it the Three of Power? Yep. Would that uh, make we, you happier? You know what? I'll go that? through... What if I were to buy you a copy and go through... And just cross out the name on each card. Well, that would dis- that would destroy the aesthetic effect. Right? But I, I guess my point. Well, is there, there you go. Actually, uh, verbal aesthetics. That's right. the reason. Yeah, just, yeah, okay. The same reason that when we played uh, Space Corp, I thought you know you should give these these colonies a name. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but that was actually to tie into more of the function. But, but yeah, yeah, they so need, that's yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. We so, had a lot of talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so at any rate, I I, I think you. I, I would want I would love to force you to play Chronicle again and uh, see if maybe yeah. you, <laughs> you may not need to force me but I mean right, it's right. just it's it's uh, yeah it's a game I'm, I'm, I, pro- I might be th- turning on it a little bit like you are but I still don't it wasn't a revelation for me sure, I, mean, sure, I, sure. I, I I do like the production of it I mean it looks it looks it's a very nice looking game yeah. but it just didn't give me you guys were so up on it like oh you gotta play Chronicle yeah get, let's get it out of here oh yeah put it on the table and then I got it like ah, okay well let's uh-huh. sure yeah. well let, let's let's bring up a game that uh, Tony brought that I was super curious, that we were both curious about. I think we, he, had, he didn't have to twist any arms to get us to play it. True. Uh, that's actually hard to get, and it's one of those games where after we played it, I looked up, okay, I really want a copy of this, and it's probably just not going to happen given how hard it is to get. Tony, what's the game that you carted out from New York? So I just started reading the Discworld books by Terry Pratchett, finally, because I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan, and when you're a Douglas Adams fan, everyone tells you to read Terry Pratchett, and I've been resisting for so long... Partly because I love Douglas Adams so much, I'm mad that anybody thinks anybody can equal him. But now I do love Terry Pratchett as well. I've read the first three or four Discworld books, and I'm so happy that I have like 500 more to go, which is really it's great. It's exciting to look forward to. So I wanted to get this game, Discworld colon Ankh Morpork, which is a game I'd heard praise for before, and I knew it was very sought after because it was out of print, and it was designed by Martin Wallace, who mm. has a pretty good track record. A spotty track record, but no, mostly it's, good. it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, I would say Martin Wallace is like like a Coen Brothers, where I don't, even if I'm not into what he made, I want to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I'd seen 
some art from the game, and I knew I really was into the art, and now that I started reading the Discworld books, I would understand some of the theming, but only a tiny fraction, as it turns out, uh, because I haven't read that many. So I got Discworld knowing that I was coming to visit Bruce and that Tom was also joining, and I thought, this will be perfect. We can all play Discworld. I'll be uh, exposing them to a game that they probably haven't played because it's out of print and it sells for a lot of money on eBay. I found it for... I forget what it was like a hundred or hundred fifty bucks, which is actually relatively cheap for what it often goes for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I brought it and we played it. And I actually my first impression after our two plays was that it was a little uh, a little light for my taste. Actually, it's certainly not lighter than Chronicle, um, but I wasn't sure that the like Chronicle the in my view the bang for the strategic buck, so to speak, is pretty high. Like, you don't have to learn that many rules. You know exactly what's going on. The game is over very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of tactical thinking you, you can do. And it's just it's, it's, uh, it's just very, I think, dense with choices. Uh, and uh, it feels very rewarding to me. Whereas Discworld felt a little chaotic in terms of everybody's going for these victory conditions and the board is changing a whole lot all uh, all the time and you don't have a ton of control over what's going on around the board and it felt kind of fluffy but over kind of overstaying its welcome a little bit for how oh, fluffy it was to really? me uh I, I still want to hold on to it though i'm not selling it i, to I you, did huh? you have a standing <laughs> offer to you that i'll buy your copy for a hundred dollars fair enough fair enough uh, if i ever fall on hard times i may come crawling back um but my uh my kind of my takeaway from playing discworld on more pork was um i'm really glad you guys liked it as much as you did and i'll let you talk about your reactions more in detail but um, but I didn't uh, love it as much as I was hoping to. Okay, okay. Uh, Garrick, you, there's, there's theming there. Oh, I love that game. Uh, and you haven't even read a single Discworld book. Not me either. Yeah, yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, yeah neither of us has. Yeah. 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 Uh, why do you love Discworld? I just it's a little, it was... You know what, Garrick? It's a little light for you. It's a little light. Yeah, it's a little light game. Uh, it was because... Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the actual mechanics. Because This is part of a game where I did like the mechanics... Um, you have secret victory conditions. Uh, you have, uh, you know, you can control a certain number of areas, or you can have a certain amount of money, or you can. Um, what was the other thing? You had to have a certain amount of get uh, the trouble spreading out. Oh yeah, there. you had to have a certain number, number of troubles. Yes, exactly. There's yeah. basically like a few systems, and a secret. Yeah. There's a secret victory condition related to almost right, each right, of the right, systems. Right. And what what I really liked about the game was that I mean, I almost the, the we we played one game or two games. Can't we played yeah, two, yeah. two, yeah. play two games. That's two right. Super yeah. games. Yes. Per game. Yes, yeah, super games. Hours. Right, and in the second game, once I learned what was going on, I almost won that game like on five different turns, <laughs> every single turn, because because the other players know, right? So so they know that there's going to be probably somebody out there that needs to control five areas to win the game. They know that there's going to be somebody out there that needs to have eight trouble things to win the game. I'm still mad about something. Go ahead. Yeah, you guys are... <laughs> there aren't that many different victory conditions, right. even, even though it's randomized. There are a few. There are a few. But what I'm saying is, you you it's... Not too difficult to sort of guess right. what people might be going for. So you're looking at so you're looking at the different you know victory conditions and and you think oh you know he keeps putting guys out and trying to control areas and you know this guy keeps he doesn't seem to be bothered when somebody puts a trouble token down and so you you think and and the the player wins at the beginning if their victory conditions are fulfilled at the beginning of the turn so basically you have to fulfill at the end of your turn and then go through the other players right. you know and so you, you know it's you think oh. 
Um, and I'm sure that these guys were keeping track of me, and every time I got five, control of five areas, I would have that at the end of every turn for like five turns in a row, and these guys would be like, ah, I do this or take something off or do something to, to disrupt my control of the area, so that when it came back to me, I had to do the thing all over again. Um, Tom was doing a, um, a good job of making us think that uh, that he was the guy that was uh, trying to get all the money, but he actually was trying to do area control. Um, but uh, it was it, it was very interactive. You kept moving. You kept doing things. Wait, before you get to that, because I want I want to talk yeah, about what you uh-huh. just mentioned. Uh-huh. I I love hidden victory conditions mm-hmm. because I love the psychological element it mm-hmm. adds and the potential for bluffing mm-hmm. and the the demand that you have to start making guesswork sure. based on what. And it also. Uh, just as a social dynamic, I love how it encourages people at the table to pay attention mm-hmm. uh, in a way that, like, by the time we played Time of Crisis, and I kind of felt bad about this, Tony and I were, were just, like, checking the email or whatever while you guys were taking your turns. Because you guys still were invested and had a lot to consider. Right. We were just kind of waiting on time to pass. Right. But when you have, like, secret objectives and it's not always clear who's going to win, people's natural, like, it, it naturally encourages people to lean forward and watch and pay attention. Right. And this game, it's pretty light, but it does a great job of that. I think it helps it that it's short. Yeah. But... Uh, that's a Martin Wallace, a, a great Martin Wallaceism, is this idea that you have to hold on to victory through everyone else's turn. Uh, a few acres of snow does it. Study an emerald does it. A game called Mythos does it. It's all about setting uh, up. Mythotopia, sorry. Mythotopia, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's myth? Yeah, but uh, they all do the same thing. Where it's not just getting to the victory condition, it's getting to the victory condition, and then everyone else necessarily having the opportunity to knock you down off of it. Right. Uh, and what's cool to me about Discworld uh, is that no one really knows what your victory condition is, so you have the opportunity to try to trick people. And I love that last game where I saw, okay, neither of them seems to be making money, so I'm going to pretend to be the money maker <laughs> while sort of obliquely setting up five controls for the, the territory control card, which, interestingly enough, I think we all had, right? We all had the same victory yeah. condition. So I thought I was super proud of myself for doing that. And, and we all bought it. it. No, you didn't, because you accidentally flipped over uh, that yeah. card, and you both saw that I didn't have that well, card. Well, at first we bought it. Right, at and first then, you bought it, and, and I was you, super happy with and myself. And you still ended up winning. I did still end up winning. So it right, didn't hurt right. you too bad. Right. Yeah. And I'd just be facetious, because it was just a fumble, and that's a super vivid card. It's yeah, like a yeah. Hulk on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so anyway, what you just brought up, I, I really uh, is is my main attraction in that game. Yeah. What I love about it. Okay, so I cut you off. So talking about the basic mechanics. But then, there, and I'm sort of. I think there's a certain element of implied lore that is very attractive to people who uh, play games because it's almost like the stuff that you fill in is as attractive as what the reality is, right? <laughs> and so the. I gotta hand it to whoever did the art for this game. It is yeah, fantastic, and the board is great, and the cards are great, and the names. And as you know, Terry Pratchett, obviously. I mean, this is this is not some schmoes game. I mean, it's you have a very you know a, a really talented writer and clearly a talented artist that put this all together, and you have this combination. And even though I hadn't read Terry Pratchett, I'm looking at these things, and there's you know weird stuff and they're taking and they're putting trouble down these minions and demons come down and there's some you know some weird wizard with a hat that you know makes stuff happen it just and it was also wacky but but coherent and it was this this very um i mean i was writing my own terry pratchett in my head <laughs> while, while i'm you know we you know I mean, you know what I mean? I'm just I was filling in the holes, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of interested. Actually, I've I've never been interested in reading Terry Pratchett. It's not my kind of writing, um, but I think I'm going to read it because it just seems very. Um, it got me interested, and I, I that is the level of 
sort of narrative that I really appreciate. And I really appreciate when a game can put everything together in that way, even if it's a light game, because I think actually the fact that it was a light game actually made me more able to look at the cards, right? I'm not doing super right. complex calculations. I'm just, I'm just looking at it like, wow, what the hell are the, you know, the some, the Dolly sisters or whatever, and they yeah. look all weird, and they, uh, you know, I, I can, I can, and then the assassinations, you can assassinate, there's a, there's some like weird count guy, and it just, it, I really enjoyed it. You said at a certain point, I'm almost glad I haven't read Terry Pratchett because it lets my imagination mm-hmm. fill in stuff. And I kind of feel the same way. It's the cool artwork. You know, we talk about, I mentioned a verbal aesthetic. There's a card, Sergeant Cheery Little Bottom. There's a <laughs> woman with a beard. Right. I don't know what that is. I don't even care that I don't know what it is. Right. It, yeah. I remember that. There's right. that, you know, that Dimension of Demons event sure. where the demons come out. That, right. that was really cool. There's the. Uh, the uh, Bryce Rice Wind. Rinse that, Wind. That, that, that's <laughs> exactly what I said. <laughs> if you read the first Discworld book, you will see a lot of Rinse Wind. Bryce Rice Wind. No. Right. <laughs> the History Monks. Yes, the History Monks. So those monks. came out, and yeah. Tony at some point sort of explained, oh, well, this is maybe why they do what they do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You go through the discard pile yeah. and pull cards out. It's because they're, they've maintained history, and they're pulling things out of history. Like, I loved that. That was just a great little moment where things clicked. The narrative, the theming. Uh, yeah, so... I, I'm super. That might be my favorite thing that we played. I wow! Yeah. I'm really Wait, glad. Hold I on, I let me check it. the list. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do think it's my favorite. Wow! Thing. You know what, Tizone? I'm going up to 110 dollars is my offer. Wow! 110. So. Wow! Sweetening the pot. That's a half a dinner right that there. It is. Uh, let's talk about another thing that I didn't get to play because it was two player and I was still asleep. You guys, you, you on your weird East Coast time. That's right. Tony, you, Bruce, on your working man time, you get up and go to a job. Yeah. I sleep till noon. So before I got up one day, you guys started playing a two-player yeah, game. Yeah, so Bruce busted out this game, and he said, everyone that comes to my house, I make play this game, mm. and I want to get their reaction. And I thought to myself, well, this must be the cream of the crop. Everyone that Bruce has to his house, he has play this game. Now, why would Bruce ever require that all <laughs> guests of his play this game unless he loved it unless he thought it was a wonderful game and so we played this game called Fort Sumter Mm -hmm. and it's like 13 days uh, but with which okay so it's I don't have to I don't have to explain that much on a games podcast people know what Twilight Struggle is in 13 days but um, so yeah it's it's sort of like Twilight Struggle or 13 days but uh, it's about the Civil War. It's about the run-up to the Civil the War. The run-up to the Civil okay. War. Bruce the, will know the more than Sumter I. Crisis. Yeah. yeah. And it's a... It's a um, I think uh, it's it's a game that um, Mark Herman, who's a, a, a incredibly... He's one, uh, probably one of the best designers working today, I think, easily. Um, probably, and I would I would extend that to one of the best designers that's that's ever worked, really. I mean, he, Mark Herman, John Butterfield, uh, Frank Chadwick... Um, these are all people that I think just are, are, are levels above everybody else uh, in terms of game design. And uh, Mark decided he was going to make a game about the uh, secession crisis. Mark, Mark has done uh, games like Churchill. But, I mean, he's a, he designed hardcore war games, and he's now designing these very interesting sort of uh, political history uh, uh, political history games. Um, but this is just a very straightforward um Card. It's an area control game where you play cards, where you have two different factions. The factions have, uh, you know, you play a card of your faction or another faction. If you play your faction, you have the option to play an event. Uh, it's not like Twilight Struggle where if you play a fact, the card of the other faction, you have to 
you know, give them the event and it, there's no penalty. You just, it's the, the penalty to you is you just don't, don't get a nice event. The event's always better than the, the generally better than the, um, than the number card, but you just place tokens on these, these four different, um, uh, what they call crisis domains. There's like, you know, secession, uh, secession, political dimensions, crisis dimensions, crisis dimensions. Yes. Crisis dimensions, but but secession, political, uh, public opinion and armaments. And then you control them. And you, if you control of, of of the three spaces in each of these uh, dimensions, uh, one is a, uh, pivotal space. So you can do a little shenanigans with moving tokens around and you get tokens by doing certain things. Um, and it's a, it could. It's a very. Um, I don't know. It's 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 not really. I wouldn't call it Reiner Knizia. I would call it. Um, it's just very Euro, and to me, and I've talked. And I'm not saying anything. You know, behind anybody's back, because I've talked to Mark, in you know, to his face on a podcast, and I we talked about it a long time, and I explained. I just don't see any theme in this game at all, and that kills it for me. It's like the Chronicle of the Civil War. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and you know, you have a card that says, you know, Abraham Lincoln, and it does something in the political dimension, and whatever. It's fine. Do you feel that way about 13 days, though? No, I oh, don't huh. feel that way about 13 days. Well, because that's days. one of my issues. Not in 13 days, like, why does the Correct. lazy shit, or not this, this 1960, yeah. why does the, like, Kennedy card... Exactly. Do, those like, cards are just... Uh, th- those cards should not say those things. Oh, okay. But... The thing about 13 days, the thing that works about 13 days that doesn't work in uh, um, in Fort Sumter is that 13 days is about brinksmanship. It's about pushing somebody to the brink, but not pushing them over, making them push you mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. right? It's just, it's it's about it's seeing who blinks. But somebody's got to blink because if you have a nuclear war, then everybody loses. And in fact, if you push the button, then you lose. So... Um, that's it. It, it, okay. it, it sort of encompasses the the whole uh, sort of uh, point of the Cuban Missile Crisis was that either Khrushchev was going to push his ships through the blockade and there was going to be a war, or um, Kennedy was going to back down, or Khrushchev was going to back down. Um, one of those things had to happen. Are you hearing how he's saying Khrushchev? He can't by say the Khrushchev. Way? Yeah, I think yeah. I think he might yeah. have like a, a, a speech impediment. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Don't make fun of him. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. No problem. <laughs> so, uh, but you're that, and that doesn't really work for the, the chain of events that led up to this. Well, Mark's sort of Mark's uh, explanation of that is, and I understand what he's saying that this is the oh, idea. For a minute, that, I thought you were talking about Marxism again, Mark no, Herman. Mark, right? Not Marx. Okay, I thought we were going. Oh God, here he goes on Marx again. No, no, no we can talk Marx. about. Well, that'll be another podcast. <laughs> uh, so Mark Herman's, Mark Herman's explanation, right. which we we discussed this, um, is that there's each side has a certain number of supporters, and and you only get tokens as you sort of escalate the crisis. And when you get to these certain, um, you just have tokens that are on the side of the board and you pick them up one by one based on the number of, the number of cards you play. And then there's these little uh, sort of like escape valves where if you breach a certain zone, you get all these extra tokens, but then you have to play them out of your pool before you keep escalating the crisis. I understand what he's saying. It doesn't feel like that to me. Um, uh, and it just feels like I just feel like I'm playing a game where I'm putting different colored tokens on different colored spaces um, but I want to uh, get people's impressions because 
there are all these people that say, you know, I play this game and it's, you know, it's a great game. And I want somebody to come in and sit down and tell me that. And you thought you were hoping that I, Tony might No, I'm not hoping that. anything. I am just want to know, <laughs> right? I mean, I, give me an impression. Because if somebody comes in and says, wow, that's a great game, I want to... I want to super glue them to the seat that they're sitting in until they explain to me exactly what they like about it. And that's not, I don't mean that like I'm going to, I'm going to somehow, uh, you know, refute that. I just want to know. I want them to explain to me in an uh-huh. articulate way what they find appealing. Is there some the like super enthusiastic reception for this game? There you... are, Mark says a lot of people, you know, uh, write to him and say, you know, wow, this is the first game I've ever gotten my wife to play with me. Of course he does. baby. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, that's fine, but I want, I want, ex- I want, I want to understand. Right. I, I'm about understanding. Sometimes it's okay if somebody makes somebody you admire makes something that you don't like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. That's, I mean, I no. Mark is a great designer, and I'm I'm going to buy his his Versailles uh, 1919 game is coming out. I'm going to buy that. I'm on the pre-order list. It'll, it'll show up, and I'll play it. I pre- Fort Sumter was on my pre-order list. It showed up. I played it. It's going to happen. Mark doesn't have to worry about me not buying his games. Um, I, but I just want that. I want that somebody to give me a reaction. Yeah. Well, it wasn't going to be me because I. <laughs> Well, I didn't hate it by any stretch. It's just, uh, to me, it just feels like a 13 days style game. When I woke up and walked out and saw it after about like two minutes, I was like, wait, this is my internal monologue. This has been pre-obsoleted by 13 yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, All right, so Fort Sumter, uh, not a huge hit. And I, uh, frankly, I was, was kind of glad that you guys got that out of your <laughs> system before I got out there. Uh, all right, let's talk about another small game that I was hoping would obsolete for my gaming group, uh, Lovecraft Letter, which is a Seiji Kanai thing that I feel is a little too deterministic. As you learn it and, and present it to other people, it can be a great time, but I'm getting over Lovecraft Letter, and even... The, uh, Garrick, I'm having drinking issues. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> So there's a game from a Kickstarter that someone on Quarter to Three really liked, and he put it on his list of his favorite games of the year, and I like this guy. I think we have a very similar taste. So I got a difficult-to-get game called Imperius, which has been described as uh, Dune Light. Mm-hmm. And I made you guys play it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Evan played it with us. Yes. Tony, yes. what did you think of... And by the way, it's imperious, not like the actual word, right. but as if it was a Latin word without the O. Take the I-U-S. O out of it. Yeah. Take the O. Imperious. Yeah. So, T-Zone, imperious, go. What did you think? Um, I felt like it was very whatever. Ugh. It felt not remarkable to me. I didn't hate it like I hated another game that we may or may not discuss later on, but um, I felt... Like I, it did, had not much to offer. It felt very describe it somewhat okay. Uh, let's see. You have a you draft cards uh, at the beginning of each hand. You uh, have a certain you're playing. Each player is playing a faction, and but you while you're drafting cards, you can draft cards of any of the factions. You just get a random assortment of cards. Some of them might be your color. Some of them might be Tom's color. Some of them might be Bruce's color. You take any kind of card you want. Uh, And so you'll have a hand when the round starts of a rainbow of different colors. Some are related to you. Some are not. And then you go around the table playing your cards on each of a certain number of planets, uh, each of which offers rewards for... uh, having certain cards played on it. So you might be placing some of Bruce's cards on a planet, some of Tom's cards on a planet, some of your own cards on a planet, and each one will have different effects, will contribute to you scoring 
points in certain ways. They will affect other cards that have been played on those planets. There are assassins which will assassinate nobles. Uh, nobles might contribute toward getting you points, but if there's an assassin that kills the noble, uh, it will interfere with that. But there's also guards that can prevent mm -hmm. the assassin from assassinating the noble. And, by the way, some of the cards that are played on these planets are played face down. Essentially, uh, two of, any planet can have a maximum of two cards played on it face down. And frequently those will be the first two cards played on it, but not always. So at the end of each round, there will be five cards played on each planet. Two of them will usually be face down. You flip the two up, you arrange the cards in the order that they're supposed to resolve, and then you see, okay, my assassin killed your... Uh, killed your noble. I have a sage uh, card there that elder. gets it's an elder, an elder uh, <laughs> that does this, and and this puts one influence token on this planet, and this puts an influence token on that planet. And to me, it all felt fairly beyond my control. What was okay. going to happen? It didn't really feel like uh, I many of my choices. I mean, I could. It didn't feel like my choices were having a huge mm -hmm. effect on the game. Okay. Garrick, what about Imperius? I think it's broken by the drafting. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I think that the, the, the game has a little bit too much uncertainty. It, it feels very random. I feel like it could be a game like... It could be a better chronicle by having more theme and more interesting play interaction. If I knew, in general what you and Tony were going to play, and I had to sort of decide, okay, I'm going to put this guy on this planet, but I know that he has this thing, so I'm going to put this down, and then this other person... If there were... Because what I felt like the game was that because of the drafting, I had no idea what anybody else had. Right. And so we were all just placing these random cards. I felt like I had no idea who took this, who took that, and I'm just playing my own game and everybody else is playing their own game, and it just sort of ran... It, it's, it's random as to how those games interact. So my issue... First of all, that's the point of the drafting, is that you do know what's in play, because the, so many of the cards pass through your hands that... The, the drafting tells you exactly what's in play and what's going to be put out there. You know what's in play, but you don't... Well, play? you always know what's in right. play. Right, you will always see... No, you don't, because... Yeah, certain, so there's some only cards that are held back. Only yeah. some of the cards are held back, okay. but over the course of drafting, you see what cards are not held back and will be put out there. Well, right. the, problem, um, the other problem is that, that... So I'm just saying, without drafting, it would be even more random. And no, it wouldn't exacerbate. be random. No, I'm saying tell the people... Tell the other players... What like make the information full like in Chronicle? Uh, if you had a static hand, everybody had... yeah, everybody knows oh. what is in. So make part of the hand static and make part of the hand random, or make part of the hand static and make part of the hand drafting. But I just felt like you you don't have enough real information because they're, you're only drafting what four cards. Yes. So you're well, drafting five. Well, but you're only keeping four, and the other ones are going out. You have no. You don't right. know. Where well, you're con right, right, right. So, um, so. You really don't have. You have to see things go around several times in order to see to have an idea of who might be taking certain cards. Mm -hmm. And even if you have a four-player game, I think it makes a big difference that I know that Evan has, you know, the the six of assassins or whatever. You know, there's no, it's an assassin. No, I, <laughs> oh, there are no assassins. I it's just an assassin. Well, there's, right. there's no like numerical oh, right, right, values. Right. Yeah, I know. I was just making a joke. Yeah, yeah. But the point is that 
there, I don't feel like there's a real strategy to. I know what the general cards are out there, but somebody's gonna. It, it just no, 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 no. Just Tom because, is throwing his head back and yeah, rolling his eyes. Oh, I didn't mean to throw it back Tom so far. There's no way to see. It was so dramatic. It was a little, it was a little his head back. His eyes gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, here's what I hear. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, yeah, that's you can respond to that because I, I feel like like just because you know what cards are in play doesn't mean that you can make an intelligent assessment of who's going to, especially in a multiplayer game. I think if you had a two-player game and you were drafting, then sure, and you left some cards out, but I think that you you put far too much faith in this drafting mechanic, especially as somebody, that, as you yourself admit, is not someone who is going to, like, uh, you know, sort of, uh, photographically remember every single card that passed through every single hand and, and know exactly who has what based on what they played, right? That's a different... You have, you have a different friend who does that very well, right. and it's not uh, it's not you. So, you know, if we were all, you know, uh, whatever, had eidetic <laughs> memories, yeah. um, then maybe. But the I think that the game just... It assumes too much from the drafting mechanic. It thinks that it's giving you more information than it does, and it really turns the game into a, a I think, a, just a, a very random uh, set of interactions. Man, I don't. So I've I just had the worst time with this game because I really like Imperius, and I really like how it has the same weight as Lovecraft Letter in terms of being mentally engaged, in terms of the amount of time it takes to play, Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot more strategy and decision-making there. And what I think is going on with Imperius, and I, you know, you either like what you don't like what you like or don't like, but what I think is going on with Imperius is that it's like Chronicle in that you've got this set of cards and they have very specific interactions, and as you play it, you start to appreciate those interactions and see how they emerge. And that's not going to happen the first time you play it. Mm-hmm. The second time you play it, it still might not even happen. But the third time you play it, it'll start to click. And the fourth time... So when I play, I'm keenly aware. Okay, my assassin's out there. Do I want to place it? Or do I want to let it go around and maybe wait and see when it comes out? Oh, he put that face down. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty elegant system oh. in terms of how a relatively few number of pieces fit together. Okay, I agree But it just gets shuffled up each time. And... And if you keep that in mind as you're playing the cards, you're right, it's random and there's a lot of guesswork, but I just can't help but feel that it's like Chronicle in that you have to play Chronicle a few times before you understand what the three really does. Um, And maybe I'm just one of those guys saying, you just don't like it if you didn't play it enough. Uh, But that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, No, I am saying, though, that I I really like it uh, a lot. Because it reminds me of Chronicle. How so has much. it been received in your gaming group in Terribly. Los Yeah, well. And so. I, I think it's partly because, like Chronicle, you can't the first time you play it, I remember how I felt the first time I played Chronicle. Like I don't understand what's going on, and it just felt arbitrary. You know, I played this card and oh the three turned everything around and now I got stuck with that poison one that I wanted to get rid of. I think Chronicle mm-hmm. is way less arbitrary than oh, Imperious. Well, well 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 Chronicle I think Sage Kanai is brilliant at doing using a relatively small number of pieces to do cool things with each other. The guys that did Imperius is a fellow from Maxis. We we looked up. I think he knows what he's doing, but he's no Seiji Kanai. Right, right. And furthermore, I think one of the uh, issues with Imperius is that rather than be like Seiji Kanai and 
narrow everything down mm -hmm. to a very sleek set of unchanging pieces that are always there. Imperius has this whole kitchen sink element where you're randomly going to throw a special planet out there and there are all these special command cards. You can throw them out and then you can put in elders that have special powers and there are expansion packs that give you different types of assassins for different... Like, they just threw all kinds of stuff in there to do a sort of build-your-own piece of, uh, system, rather where, where Seiji Kanai clearly yeah. winnowed everything down to a very specific design. Yeah. Uh, Seiji Kanai is, I think, very good at economical design. Exactly. He uses as few pieces as possible, uh, and, uh, yeah. Really Imperius is basically like, what if uh, Seiji uh, Kanai game was just a huge, messy... Michael Bay movie or something. It's just like, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a bit much, but... And the thing is, I've never even played with anything but the basic cards that are recommended for beginners. Wait, um, so there's other cards that we weren't even using? Oh my god, there's so many we weren't We're playing the baby game, as Tom oh. would say. Well, it's not so... You, well, I hate it even more. Now? Yeah. No, I hate it's it It's not the baby more. game, it's just that you're supposed to randomly take out four event cards, you're supposed to be using the elders that do things, and... Depending on which expansions you add, it can change other cards. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. all right. I'm the only one that likes. It. I continue <laughs> to be the only one that likes Imperius. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, right. All right. Speaking of being the only one who likes something. Yes. Uh, Tony, what's this new? <laughs> Explain. Describe <laughs> New Angeles. New Angeles is a broken game. Oh, all right. That's quite the pronouncement <laughs> for someone who's played it once. That's true. I have played it once. What, uh, describe it. That will remain the maximum number of times I will play oh, New Angeles. You'll never play it again. Never, I'll never play it again. New Angeles is a one of these games which I think I think a lot of games are incorporating cooperative elements as sort of a cop-out uh, because it's difficult... <laughs> this is just my theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's difficult to make competitive games which can involve a large number of players, large number being more than two, essentially, in which everyone feels like they're invested in the game the whole time, they're not too far behind, they still have a stand a chance to win. It's very difficult to design a game like that, and... Uh, most games are not like that. Most games uh, do not let everyone feel like they they have a chance at winning at all times, and I think that's okay. But I understand. But 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 I think that some game designers, especially in 2019, feel that that is uh, and uh, is a flaw in a game that not everybody feels like they have a shot at winning at all times. And I, to some extent, uh, I, I see that. I see their point. Uh, anyway. New Angeles is one of these games that's sort of semi-cooperative and semi-not, um, and the player, each player, has a is given a secret card which indicates their rival, and in order to be among the winners of the game, they need to score more victory points than their rival. They don't care how many victory points any other player at the table has, as long as they have you have more victory points than your rival, you are one of the winners. And in fact, everybody but one of the players could potentially win the game. Um, then there's also a trader mechanic, which a lot of these semi-cooperative games have, and I think that it's a it's good for these games to have a trader mechanic so that there's kind of an unpredictable element and you don't know, you're not 100% sure of, 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 of everyone's motivations at all times. 
Uh, the trader mechanic in uh, New Angeles is, uh, there's a card, a victory condition card called the Federalist, in which you, much like the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica, want to undermine the uh, everyone else at the table, and there's a what's called a threat track, which everyone at the table but the Federalist wants to keep low. It's a global fail state. It's a game. global fail state. If it reaches 25 points, the game ends and everyone loses. Unless, unless one person happened to draw the Federalist. Exactly. Card, and that person has 25 victory points. That's correct. Right, they can't do that early in the game. You've got right. to wait. You've got to sort of lie and wait for a certain yes. amount of time. Right. Uh, but I don't think... Now, you say you can't do that early in the game. You've got to lie and wait, which raises an interesting point. I don't think the Federalist has any power to raise that threat level uh, because everyone else at the table is working to keep that threat level low and um, no one no one player is given much uh, ability to push that threat level up. Unlike a game that I think inspired New Angeles Battlestar Galactica in which there are mechanics by which the Cylons can secretly undermine everyone else at the table without people knowing that someone is secretly... knowing who is the one secretly undermining them. Uh, in The Federalist, every action that everyone does is fully public, and if you do anything to undermine the rest of the players, everyone will know that you're doing it. You can't sneakily suggest that it might be somebody else. Everyone will see exactly what you're doing and will work doubly hard to prevent you from undermining them uh and as you might infer listener i was the federalist uh, <laughs> and, and did you win how'd you do i did not win you were one of two losers i was one of two losers <laughs> we had six players four That's of us correct, won. Yes. Was, yeah uh and i would venture to say that in a in a game of new angeles in which the players are not idiots there i don't believe there is a way for the federalist to win okay uh, yeah, and that's actually because I've never—it was only my second time to play it. Uh, it hadn't occurred to me, but I, I do think you're right in that there are definitely a lack of tools for a trader, a federalist, to use. Uh, and so I can definitely see that point. Um, the reason that I wanted it to play it is because we were up here visiting you, Bruce, and there's also some folks that live here that I was looking forward to meeting. Yeah, uh, our, our, our friends Scott, uh, David, and uh, Craig. Um, so we had an opportunity for all six of us to get together and play a game, yep. and there was some talk, well, what's a good game for six players? And as someone who plays a lot of board games, I have a very specific set of things I like in certain situations, in, in games like this. And with six players, one of the things I hate is a round-robin game where there's a lot of downtime for everyone. Uh, and I also... Uh, so, so one of the things that I love about Angelus, New Angelus is the structure. It's not that at all. It's one of those games where it's always everyone's turn because it's all about one player proposing a deal, an action that could happen, and then going around the table and letting someone else propose a counteraction, and then going around the table again and letting everyone vote on which one happens. Mm -hmm. There's no, I'm doing my turn so Tony can go hang out and make a sandwich because it's not going to be his turn for five more rounds. Um, so I like how it's constantly interactive, and I also like how it's a genuinely cooperative game in that because I've only got to beat the one rival, 
I honestly couldn't care less how many points Bruce has if he's not my rival. I will do things to help him. It doesn't. It's not a zero-sum game where me helping Bruce is a detriment to me. And that's rare in a lot of co-op games. Uh, it's certainly rare in a lot of uh, trading and negotiating and voting uh, games. Um, so those two things, that, that it was a unique approach to co-op and that it was constantly engaging for six players, which is really difficult, is one of the reasons I wanted us to, to play it. Uh, so Bruce, how did, how did New Angelus work for you? Uh, I found it a little unsatisfying. Okay. Um, I think that I, I very much appreciate what the game's trying to do. Um, I feel like it's more... I don't, feel, I don't feel like it's actually that much of a game. I feel like it's more of an experience. Um, <laughs> it's it's something that people are... It, it, what it's trying to do is... And, and once again, I, I feel like um, for the listeners, it's good to sort of describe a little bit about what happens. You're basically six heads of corporations. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should say the whole yeah, premise. Yeah, yeah the right, premise yeah. is that you are... Uh, there's this place called New Angeles. It's not Los Angeles. It's not even Old Angeles. It's just this New Angeles place after some backstory happened. And uh, yada, <laughs> yada, yada. It's the Android Sword. universe that Fantasy Flight has, yes. has put Netrunner yeah. in. Yada, yada, exposition. So if you played Netrunner, you, say, yeah, you yeah, might yeah, recognize it. By the way, guys, everybody name your favorite five characters from the Android universe. Go. Uh, the chick who has the teddy bear hacking computer. Mm. <laughs> That's a thing. That's really a thing. Okay. Because sh- one of the shapers, I think, she's got, she's this, like, chicken, she's got her teddy bear, which is her rig she uses to hack. Okay. I don't remember, her I don't remember seeing that in, the, in New Angeles. Yeah. So you guys don't play Netrunner. If you played Netrunner, you would yeah. probably have an answer to oh, that. All right, fair enough. But, uh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. All right. Anyway, Bruce, sorry to interrupt. So I guess my, my point is that th- this is a game in which you all, you represent the head of a corporation. Each corporation has a different sort of sphere of influence, where there's the, the security guys and there's the labor guys and there's the, you know, biotech guys and there's the, the media guys and they're all... You know they're the, they're the overlords of New Angeles, and we're just you're just trying to keep the city going and making stuff for whomever. I don't know, the, but but if you're you trying look, to keep the threat from yeah. hitting twenty five, if you let crises come up, well, and push it, the threat. We, I think that they're they're trying. You're not trying to keep the threat from getting twenty five. You're trying to keep the the general disorder from reaching a level in which I'm just being narrative oh, oh. but I mean the point, <laughs> the point, yes you're right you're trying to leave the, 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 the this is the difference back. this is the schism between Tom and Bruce Tom is like 25 25 Bruce is like no you're trying to avoid sowing chaos so and, and, but it's like one of those games like yeah. Battlestar Galactica where things are going wrong and you have to do things right. to stop right. them from going too but, but, the, right. but the reason that I'm, I'm sort of perseverating on this this idea of what this game is about is that I really feel like um, it's kind of like those, those the people in Kill Bill, uh, you know the um, where is the, this going? The guys, the, the, the <laughs> wow. Yakuza guys. Where uh, what's her name? Lucy Liu's. Uh, uh, you know she's the head of the um, uh, the the Japanese sort of crime syndicate, and they're all at this table, and they're all sort of drinking sake and yelling at each other, and you sort of like dividing their spoils. And I think that that's what the what the game's trying to make you feel like. You're like you know you're you're running the city, and you're all kind of uh, you know, helping each other keep a lid on the okay. you know on the on the disorder and, and enriching yourselves, right? I mean, that's what you're trying to do. You're enriching yourselves. Um, so I think that the, that it's really meant to be this kind of uh, uh, sort of social interaction game that uh, it reminds me actually of a game called Junta. Um, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Old, old, old yeah, game yeah. from by West End from like '85, I think. And you're and it's like you're all this banana republic, and somebody's the president, somebody's the defense minister, so you know somebody's the head of secret police, and and you're all trying to you know enrich yourselves. You're trying to get as much money out of the banana republic. That game is is a is a wacko game, but um, 
But but I feel really in this a vacuum actually has a winner. This game does does not. I feel uh, as one of the people who won, it does. Well, I also <laughs> won the game, but I mean, I it, the, the, but the the way that it works, I feel is very. Um, there's I don't feel like there's quite enough stakes. I feel like you can you can make things work. Um, it really does sort of, in a way, simulate what this would be like if you really, if ever, if, if there were no, if the people who, uh, rose to the top of a, of a disordered world were actually not all, you mm-hmm. know, megalomaniacal, narcissistic people, but, you know, kind of good, good, good easygoing guys who're just trying to, you know, get everything done. That's right? a no, really interesting point. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. th- there's no, there's no, everybody is like, well, why don't we do this? And you're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Sure. Hey, why not? Hey, that'd be great. Rather than, no, I'm going to try to get every last thing out of you to enrich myself. Um, there's just, it's not cutthroat. Yeah. What's actually going on in the game plays 100% counter to what the theme ostensibly is. Uh, And everyone at the table is either genuinely cooperating and being very not friendly about it or uh, pretending to do so. Right. Because if there's no mechanism by which the Federalist, the traitor, uh, can... uh, As opposed to Battlestar Galactica, there's no mechanism by which the Federalist can reveal himself and gain additional power. And there might not even be a Federalist in play. And there might not even be a Federalist in play, and it's possible everyone at the table is uh, very kind of Pollyanna-ishly cooperating hand-in-hand to accomplish everyone's goal. It's it's sort of like everyone can be a winner, and literally everyone, but potentially one player. One player. Not everyone can be a winner. There will be at least one player. And and, and just as Bruce said, I think that, that does lower the stakes. Yeah. When five out of six people can win the game, uh, what's the? I kind of feel like what's the point? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a game about good about the the benefits of good municipal management. Right? <laughs> I mean it's not. It, it, there should be. I, I feel like, and I, I hate to be the you know quarterback, uh, money money quarterback, or you know backseat designer, or whatever you want to call it. But I feel like if you're going to try to simulate a game, uh, simulate a situation, or or represent. I hate simulation. It's not a simulation, but if you're going to represent, if you're going to theme a situation in which a bunch of people are in a decaying society and yeah. trying to keep things together but also enrich themselves, there has to be a way in which you can do things secretly because that's what those people would be doing, right? Nobody's going to just sit around and say, oh, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, let's do that, and then just follow through on their on their uh, you promises. Know, promises. Right, yeah. And it just, it's, it's I, maybe our group is just too too congenial um, but it just doesn't I mean if everybody can win there's no need not, not to be congenial right yeah. there's no need to be anything but congenial exactly. if all you care about is getting more points than one other person so it's a great way to spend you know four or five hours on a, I think it took, our, our game lasted about yeah. five hours it's certainly it's yeah. not a short game I'll right. it's it felt, an investment and yeah. it felt very inconsequential to all of you guys to me it felt somewhat more consequential because right. I thought because the, at least there was the potential uh, of me being like, haha, I'm the sole winner, all you right. guys lost, which I really wanted to happen, but I don't think the game provided me with the tools to make that happen. Right. I mean, every, every, it's, it's a game where everybody should be able to lose, and there should not be more than one winner, and that exactly well, runs counter to the whole point, which is it's trying to get people to stay invested for five hours and not. How long did you and Rich play Gloomhaven? And which one of you won? How long did we play Gloomhaven? You spent five hours playing a co-op game. It's a different a co-op board game in which no, neither of you won. But we could both we could both fail. 
Or we could have all theoretically failed if threat went up so high. Well, but, or we could have yeah. not failed because if there was no federal. You also could have not failed in Gloomhaven because you play on an easy level. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, New Angeles is a, is a cooperative game. You're absolutely right about the dynamics aren't what Consistent you might expect of a cutthroat game about an evil net uh, cyber corporations right. fighting each other. It's a cooperative game with that one tweak that you've got to beat one person. Right. And I agree if you're looking for the traditional interaction of, of a board game, which is generally I'm one of us is going to win, everything else we played this weekend, only one of us ever won. Uh, and I don't like co-op games. Like when you and Rich played uh, Gloomhaven, that's a friend of ours, Rich Greenhill, you guys had a great time playing this cooperative game, Gloomhaven, which everybody loves. And I like Gloomhaven too, in ways, as a solitaire game, because when I play cooperative games that are strictly purely co-op, I kind of feel like I don't need you guys there because I can do that on my own. I like games where I sort of have to vie against someone. So for me, New Angeles is a cooperative game that has just enough of that I need to step on one person's neck to keep me mm-hmm. interested in playing. I can't play it solitaire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you completely. It's, there's not enough cutthroat as you might expect from a game about cyber corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm definitely not taking issue with your idea, Tony, about the Federalists might not have enough tools. But I do think of it as it does its job of being a cooperative game that is distinct from other cooperative games. Fair enough. And it's also distinct from the standard design one winner. And your, your, your Junta comparison is spot on because it just made me think oh yeah it was like when we were all kids playing junta uh and the the value of it is we play this game and then everyone sits around in the kitchen for an hour talking about the game we just played right um and yeah so any mechanical failings any narrative failings i don't necessarily disagree but i think what's there is a game you're going to play for a long time and then everyone's going to talk about it for an hour afterwards and months later someone might say hey remember when we played that game and tony was a federalist and he didn't win or uh yeah so but yeah fair enough so hit or miss uh but could you think like could you think of a better game to play for six players like let's say for instance we virgin were queen back here okay. we, here i stand seven right. wonders Diplomacy. Oh, uh, seven wonders. Diplomacy. <laughs> Get okay. a seventh player and play diplomacy. Okay. Age of Renaissance. Okay. What's Age of... Oh, oh, that goes to six? I guess so. Sure. I think Age of Renaissance goes yeah. to six. Oh, oh, I was thinking of Pax Renaissance. No, Age right, of Renaissance. Right. All right, fair enough. Those are all hardcore and round robin, so will you guys take your turn? Even something like sandwich. The Resistance, if you're going to play something those are those, those aren't games, social, social right. deduction games. Yeah. So, All right, let's go to... Uh, oh, real quick, before we go to the game we just played that's freshest on our mind. Yeah. We played a little slate. I think it's kind of inconsequential, uh, but I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, I got a game called The Estates. Kind the of Estates, a, yes. The Estates, kind of on a lark. Uh, it's just some blocks and plastic pieces. I bought it, read the rules, and thought, eh, this looks a little simple and Euro, uh, but I'll at least give it a shot. When I finally played it with some of my friends, I was like, hey, this might be kind of good. So then I brought it to you guys. We played The Estates. Um, it's a sort of a block placement, uh, screw your neighbor, take that kind of game um, with very few simple pieces and a touch of math. Garrick, what did you think of the estates? I I wasn't uh, I wasn't disappointed that we played it. I thought it was a nice. It was fairly quick. Um, it has uh, the, so once again the premise for the uh, for the listeners is that you have um, a board in which you're trying to develop buildings, and the 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 key is that um, 
you are every person is a different color, and these um, color blocks are drawn. It's sort of a you know drafting in the sense that you you can't pick any color block. They're 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 arranged in a in a set, and you everybody knows what the the choices are, and so you know that well if I pick this block, then the next block that's going to be available is that block. If I do this, then that's going to happen. Um, but what what the game really depends on is uh, it's an auction game in which people are offering value for a block to be able to place it for points, and then the person who initiated the offer decides whether it's worth that person's uh, money to pay whatever the last bid was, or whether that person wants to take that money and give it to that high bidder. So So you put a block out, I bid two, Tony bids four, Bruce, you decide to either take four dollars from Tony and let right. him use the block, or he pays you four dollars and he uses right. the so block. Right. So it's the it's the it's the active player's choice. Right. And then that block, because the way that points are scored is that the the points are scored for uh, buildings, and buildings basically are uh, scored by the person. The buildings obviously can have multiple floors, so you just you can stack blocks on top of each other, and then only the person whose block is on top is going to score that building. And so there's this also rush. There are these roofs that uh, you can bid for and place. And once you cap a building with a roof, uh, you get the points for whoever has the top uh, uh, top um, block. And but furthermore, there are numbers on the blocks yes, that yes. make it clear that at yes. a certain point buildings are safe from certain right, blocks. Exactly, yep. and you can see it. Just yeah, there's a whole there's a whole mechanical uh, uh, aspect to this that is very very interesting. I think it's very well done. Furthermore, there's an element of uncertainty um, because uh, the game ends when two of these three sort of development rows are completed. Um, But you can also um, fail to complete a row, in which case, instead of scoring points, all the points you just scored are negative points. What? Oh, Oh, ouch. Oh, what a burn. I was so close. I was going to get 30 points from this building, and I got negative 30. Yeah, so that's... It's very interesting, and there are ways to ways to bid for things that will extend a row to make it harder to finish or you know close it down. And I mean, I, I like that kind of I, I like I like auction games, um, but I think this one's a little too. Um, I think it can be done better. My favorite auction game is Modern Art. Uh, it's a Kinesia game, and it's I think it's just amazing because it really gets down to the idea of what an auction game is that it, you're bidding against what other people think something is worth. This is a calculation auction game in which there is an element of min-max. I mean, you 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 have enough variability in that you can never be sure whether what you're doing is going to gain you points or going to crush you. Um, I thought it was interestingly designed. It's not a game that I would really necessarily play again. I think there are better... Um, now, this is going to sound completely contrary to what I just said. There are better auction games. Wow. But I have no interest in real estate development, so <laughs> I I would much rather play an auction game about modern art than an auction game about real estate development. I mean, a game about real estate development might as, be, might as well be a game about you know, uh, lawn mowing, uh, just as, as zero interest for me. I don't care about whether the building is whatever, about the roof, the thing. It was an interesting game I'll play once. I don't think I'd play it. Quick again. sidebar before we hear from T-Zone uh, about the estates. Uh, is modern art better than raw? 
Boy, that's a really hard question. Okay. Modern Maybe. art is ah. Like as someone who likes raw, should I be playing modern art instead? No. Okay. Because you cannot play modern art with a group of people who don't understand modern art. Okay, yeah, well, fair enough. You, you who don't understand what modern like no, the, the gay rules not no, the people, actual two people who don't have uh, either uh, bachelors in art history or MFAs <laughs> not what you're meaning no, no. I, no. I'm, 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 what I'm saying is that um, modern art depends on, the auction mechanic depends on the, the the ultimate values of the properties are it's a genius genius mechanic it's just not as accessible as raw it's not as accessible, as accessible because you have to sort of figure out what people are going to think something is worth. Right. Whereas raw has a more, um, there's a more fixed value to things. And you can mathy. see how they're, yeah, it's a more mathy game. Um, so people who sit down to play raw um, can quickly sort of pick up what's going on. Right. Whereas people, the first time people sit down to play modern art, they're like, what? I've been on that. How come I don't have any points? This doesn't make any sense. Um, you didn't do this. I didn't thought you would do that. The modern art is a great game, but you need like four or five people who who um, I think it's close to I think it was five at okay. least at least plays four. Um, but uh, I haven't played it in a decade. But um, you need you know you need a whole bunch of people who who know how to play modern art. Then it's a freaking great okay. game. Raw obsolete modern art. Fair enough. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> how do you feel about bidding games and specifically the estates? Um, yeah. So I. I, I, in general, uh, enjoy bidding games, and I think the Estates was a very well-designed, simple game that I would absolutely play again. Um, I it, it just felt very intelligently and compactly designed, and every decision I made felt consequential, mm-hmm. and the there was constant interaction with all the other players, and uh, I really liked it a lot. I forgot if it was while we were recording or before, but someone, maybe you, said something about muscular game design. I feel like that's a very muscular design. We yeah. talk about every every decision having consequences. I don't think I used that phrase, but I I will absolutely accept it being attributed. I'm sorry, to I meant Bruce said something about <laughs> muscular design. It was very astute. Uh, you guys love real estate development. You should be real estate developers. Yeah. You should like Trump. Who doesn't? I mean, it's not. Uh, oh, I can't believe you weren't there. Uh, it, who doesn't like building skyscrapers? I, I just really obviously have no interest. All right, okay. you don't you don't care about like uh, zoning. How about that? How do you feel about zoning? I like zones of control, building permits. If they're associated with Panzer <laughs> divisions. Uh, well, let's get into the realm of the science fiction. Then, uh, have we played a science fiction game? Yeah, we played Angus. Angelus could be that's fantasy. No, New Angelus is sci-fi. Yeah. Eh, okay, fair enough. But this Steve is Monk. this is this is hard sci-fi. Oh yeah, this is hard, hard, uh, and it's one of your favorite. Designers. designers, yes, probably one of the best designers that uh, I think I mentioned his name earlier, John Butterfield. All right, name dropper. Uh, what's his latest game? Is it just like yeah, it's got to be his latest game. It's his latest, his latest game, Space Corp. But I'm going to let Tony explain because I think Tony <laughs> was the uh, Tony understands it probably the best because uh, uh, he got the most points. He did, I did get the most points slightly. So Bruce, I'm going to correct you on one thing. It's not called Space Corp. It's called Space Corp, and then there are two numbers after it that are two ah. dates. And I challenge both of you to come up with those dates right now. 2025 to, huh? Nope. <laughs> no, it's Wrong. 2025 to 2304. It's based on the books. 
I just made that up. I made that up. If you say something authoritatively, people believe you. Yeah. No, I don't know um, the dates, but it is based on some books. I guarantee that nobody listening to this podcast, probably not even John Butterfield, uh, could come up with the numbers and the title of Space Corp without Googling them. Uh, which, so I think it's a unfortunate name. But, but does anyone ever call it Space Corp? Blah 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 blah. Two blah blah blah. No, people just say Space Corp. Right? Sure. So just yeah. call the game Space Corp. Oh, okay, I'm with you there. Fair enough. I mean, officially, yeah, <laughs> not just colloquially. Right. Um, so we played a game called Space Corp, and then there are some numbers after it, designed by John Butterfield, who designed a ton of games that Bruce likes, and he also designed Ambush, which is a game that Bruce likes, ah. and I also like. Um, he designed some of the best games that have ever been designed. RAF, Ambush, um, Enemy Action Ardennes. Uh, Study in Emerald. Yes. No. No, that's Martin Walls. <laughs> um, but anyway, Space Corp is does something that uh, I've never seen done before, which is it takes place in three different eras, and the scale of the game changes in each era. It's a game of space exploration, and you start in our... uh, Not even our solar system. You start in our immediate area. Uh, So, like, just the moon and Mars, essentially, is as far as... That's right. Exactly. Metaphorically. Uh, you can get to the moon and Mars in the first uh, era. And the second era is our solar system. And the third era is way out beyond our solar system. And each era is played on a different board. And it's like that uh, that old film that they used to show you in school called Powers of Ten. Did you guys ever see that movie? No. <laughs> uh, it's like a little educational film. And it starts, I believe it starts at the uh, scale of a single cell. And this is from like the 70s or something. You guys mm. must have seen this. <laughs> no, I'm sure. And, and it Chris graduated. and I were out back with the cool kids smoking cigarettes. Okay. Right? Yeah, you guys were never in school. Fair <laughs> enough. And it, it zooms out uh, and a voice is talking to you telling, talk, a narrator is telling you uh, what scale you're going to and it's a single cell you zoom out a little bit it's like spore actually kind of like you see and then a multi-celled organism then you see a little like tadpole and then you see a human and then it zooms out and you see a whole building and it zooms out a little bit more and you see a neighborhood it zooms out more and you see a state and then you see america and then you see a continent then you see the world and you're zoom out and you're in space and this is in the 70s and the effects that this was not like a computer generated thing uh, and then, uh, once you're way out and you see the whole Milky Way, uh, and I may be getting the details wrong because I haven't seen this in a long time, then it goes back down and you, you zoom back in through all the, uh, you know, every uh, aspect of, of, of the universe back down to the single cell, and it's really cool. There'll be a link to this at the bottom. Of the yeah, box. that's right. Powers of Ten, I think is what it was called. Anyway, uh, Space Corp is like that because you start at a small scale and then you play through three eras, the scale getting bigger and bigger each time. You're developing a, corpor- a space exploration corporation. You're competing with the other players in the game. Uh, there are some, not cooperative elements, but some elements where you get to piggyback off their successes and they get rewarded uh when you do so, so they're incentivized to develop their own corporations, not only to benefit themselves, but so they can receive payment of sorts when other people find their infrastructure useful. Um, and uh, I really liked it a lot. I think it's a little bit dry uh, for a game about space exploration. It is. Uh, it, it 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 felt a little, almost a little. I don't want to say bland, because I really did enjoy it. It was one of my... Favorite. Why wouldn't you say bland? I wouldn't necessarily think Because bland, I think... I, 
I would definitely play this game again. I actually own it and have not played it before tonight. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to play it again. And I don't think... I think Bland implies that I might not want to play it again. Okay. Uh, but I, I I would definitely go back to this game. But it did feel a little, a little dry for a game that includes in potentially encountering aliens. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... What's an example of one of the aliens you might encounter? Give us a name. So here's an example also of the blandness of mm-hmm. the game. The aliens are called things like the introvs. No, come on. There's no aliens called introvs. What are you, are you serious? I think introvs. What is that? No, yeah, right. I'm, and playing, it, I'm doing implicitly. Okay. Oh, Tom is playing the, a character of like the somebody who doesn't believe yeah. how what? dry it is. That sounds so crazy. Uh, I implicitly, I guess that means they're introverted and shy aliens. Ah. What would you call the economic aliens? Oh, I would call them the econs. Ah, what would you call the aliens that love you, that are friendly? The files. I see. And that's what John Butterfield (laughs) called exactly those kinds of aliens. And uh, they all are represented visually by that uh, alien face that was made popular on the cover of Communion by Whitley Strieber or whatever his name was. The Greys. The Greys, yeah. Come on. Um, Can I ask a question before, before you continue? So would you say that this game would have been improved by thinking of really, like, science fiction names like the Jekthalians <laughs> and the Nigzors with a bunch of, like, hyphens and, and apostrophes and, like, XYZ and, like, those are the lizard beings? I mean, like, having... I mean, would that have helped? Would, not, like, not calling it the intros, but calling it the, you know, Zazarians? Would that have helped you? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, we are making fun of the names... But I don't think it was. It, it, it's not so much the names that I had the issue with, so much as the aliens. To me, and this is a Bruce-ish point of view. I think the aliens differed from each other uh, only in so far as the numbers that were on the tile that you flip up when you encounter the aliens. Well, and they're to, a bag of numbers. To, to sort of get to, I think Bruce's point, which is also what you're saying, I, they're 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 spectrums for trying too hard with these goofy names that mean nothing, and not even bothering at all and giving it an, an adjective that describes its numerical function. Yeah. Uh, and I think clearly John Butterfield, when we were playing, when I explained it to you guys. I feel like there's a point where he just sort of gave up uh, and wanted to be done with it and stopped trying to do much with the theming. Because there are instances where he avoids what you're talking about of just giving something a crazy name, and he gives some of the cards fairly thoughtful, hard science-ish names that unfortunately you ignore and really never even come into play. But there are times where you can clearly see that he's trying to do decent theming. And when he doesn't do it, like with the aliens and the colonies, I think it's kind of conspicuous. Uh, but I agree with you, Garrick. Like, there's a there's a there's a game I really like called uh, I can't remember the name. The uh, High Frontier. High Frontier is great. I don't remember the alien names in that. Uh, but there's a bidding game called something in the Elysium Quadrant or whatever, and every alien race has some ridiculous baby talk name, mm-hmm. and that <laughs> stuff just drives me crazy. That's mm-hmm. I would rather have things be called the Introvs and the, the Econs. And, right, right. Uh-huh. But so, would you agree with Tony? Uh, Bruce, that the game is uh, dry or... Because I would be okay with bland uh, or dry. I wouldn't say dry. I think dry dry to me implies uh, that there is some uh, discomfort in... or, or Dry basically means that, yeah, it's like we eat dry food <laughs> and there's just... it's some, There's some element of unpleasantness to it. I wouldn't call it dry. I would call it somewhat bland. 
but I think that it actually is bland in the sense that I would argue that it actually makes it sets itself up for a fall because I think it actually does the theming very well early and then just sort of falls off a cliff uh, at the end. I feel like the game. I, I'd really. I'd love to talk to John Butterfield about this uh, because <clears throat> I wonder whether he uh, found that in order to do with the. Um, well, let's, once again, I, I will keep doing this, but I really feel like the listeners should get a little bit of the premise of the game um, in, the, in the sense that um, these three eras, um, you do very specific things that um, you have cards, you move, you build, you explore, and you interact with known... Um, sort of known bodies like Tony was saying that there's you know these are in the in the um uh in the zip code of the of the earth but when you do that early i feel like the game actually does feel pretty well themed you have specific things in the um in the near in near inner space right where you have uh asteroids and planets and these Lagrange points, which I think are really interesting, where you you know you can set yourself up for these kind of um, um, springboards to other other parts of the um, other parts of the solar system, and then so he goes through. There's the, the first one is the Mariners, and then you're in the Planeteers, and there's finally the um, Starfarers, and this this the interstellar part. And I feel like at that point, Butterfield sort of realizes he has a dilemma, which is that if you are going to do with the interstellar portion what he did with the uh, with the other portions of the game and really kind of allow it to get its own character, the game's going to go too long. So I feel like there's part of the part of the the problem with the third part of the game is that it doesn't have the same flavor as the first two parts. And I think that that might be a conscious design decision, that you're just kind of flying around. I, I feel like there there's a point, there's a sweet spot in the second era where you really, to get from, um, from parts of the solar system to distant parts of the solar system, you really have to make a, um, a big investment in movement. And it can cost you a lot of cards. And you have to really make a, a serious excuse me, a serious decision to do that, and it takes away your flexibility to do other things, um, you have to make clear decisions. In the interstellar part, the movement, while the numbers are huge, the way that the cards multiply makes it's almost never a problem to go anywhere. You're like, oh, wait, I can move 90, I can move 100, oh, I'll just go here, here, and here. It feels very different from the from the first two parts of the game where you're often thinking, gosh, I can't get to where I want to go to do the thing I want to do because I don't have the cards for it. You always have the cards in the late game. The I, thing you're insane. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I did not always have the cards. To talk, move? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah we, all had, we all had multiplied. I had trouble moving. <laughs> like I was, Did you? There was a reason that I didn't get out and explore the, the, the universe. Yeah, oh, you were obviously crazy. hogging all the move cards. Well, I don't know. It just seemed like, I don't know. It just seemed like, but you were, you guys were all like, oh, I could move here. Or I could move here. Everybody moved everywhere. 
I moved. I moved as much as I. I moved. I certainly moved no less than I needed to, but there, I couldn't move as much as I might yeah. have wanted to at all times. Okay, for sure. well, there were a lot of multiplier cards. I think that because yeah. the, the multiplier cards were like you know you, you you have ten movement and then you multiply that by three and that's thirty, but then you multiply it by four and that's one hundred and twenty. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. were times where I could get that, but it took me a while of yeah, winding okay. up and saving right. cards. You know? Well, then, the, okay, well, that's fine. So you guys disagree with me on that part, but I really <laughs> feel, I, I, I think that there was, I think that the the decision, the sweet spot of decisions was in the second uh, the second era. I, I, I mean, I, I guess I agree with you in that I feel that each, You don't have to agree with me. You can well, No, I agree disagree with you with in me. that, to the extent that... In the third era, a lot of what's going on is where things have been doled out in relatively small numbers mm-hmm. uh, early on. A bunch of stuff gets dumped in your lap in the third era, mm-hmm. whether it is the large numbers with movement or rather than exploring one little tile and, oh, I got one profit point, you flip over three and you got plenty of profit points and suddenly your little advancement wheel has turned around twice uh, it's part of the scaling up is it's just dropping so much more stuff into your lap in that third era uh, that it does feel qualitatively different than early on when you're like, oh, I just need the one more point to get to Mars and oh, here's how I do it. I got the one card. And rather than flipping down the one card in the third era, you're like, oh, well, I needed 60 points and I'm yeah. using this multiplier and now I just spent 130 to right. somewhere. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's part of what happens with that third era is that suddenly things are big and splashy and big numbers and multiple things happening in one action. Right. Uh, and that does feel weird. Uh, it does feel a little out of sorts and I suspect it's kind of intentional with the elegance and almost parsimoniousness yes. of the early game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the uh, one of the things that I did like about in in terms of looking for new mechanics and dynamics, I like that scaling. But I also like the way that we interact with each other that you referenced before, where we can use each other's corporations and each other's bases. But I think I've come to the conclusion after th- three or four plays. Well, after playing a few times, including solitaire. Unless you have four players, I think space might be too big. Because in our game, did we ever once use anyone else's base? No, I don't think so. No. And that should be, that's one of the pillars of the game, is that you're building stuff. Certainly we used each other's little infrastructures for actions. But as you're going out into base, it always seemed like, oh, well, Tony's over there, Bruce is over there, here's the empty spot I'm going to go and expand into. And I never needed to either use your bases to leapfrog or to stage my expedition. Um, it just felt like it's just enough room in with three players for us never to get in each other's way. Uh, I, I would, I would, I think I, I think it works better with four. So you would say you on board game, you would vote community best, four. best with four. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you agree, Tony? We definitely never got in each other's way, and there definitely never felt like there was too little room, and we all kind of carved out our own individual little places to explore, for sure. Um, I don't really... I'm not 100% clear on how the game design would have made it any more interesting if we were using each other's bases, really. Uh, I think it would have changed the uh, character of the early game where we would have been getting more cards to do more stuff with, because we would have other people giving us... Uh, for the for the listeners, when the the whole point that Tom's making is that every time somebody uses your resources, you get a card, and 
if they use your sort of headquarters and then which is you know your little card tableau and something of yours on the board like your your base there's two cards and that can actually be a big difference i think in the early game where the players are allowing other other players doing stuff with your you build something somewhere and it doesn't just benefit you but it gives you a whole bunch of other resources that other players are dumping on you because that's very useful to them and i think that uh is something that we didn't see right right yeah. Uh, how did you guys feel about this idea? One of the things it reminded me of, and one of the main reasons that I, like that, decided to buy it when I saw it, uh, Leaving Earth has this cool idea. That's another board game that I think is kind of unplayable because it's super mathy. Yeah. Uh, it's more like doing math than playing a board game. But it has this cool idea that you fly out to a planet and you flip it over to see what cool thing you discovered there. Yep. I love that in Leaving Earth. That was the main thing that attracted me to Space Corp. Mm-hmm. How well do you think it did that idea of exploring and discovering cool stuff? Um, I would say pretty well. I really enjoyed... Every time I used the explore action and flipped over an exploration token, that was super exciting for me. And then when we got to the third phase where you're sometimes flipping over two or three yeah. exploration tokens with each explore action, that was really fun and cool. But there aren't that many different exploration tokens, and each one is somewhat bland in terms of personality and they just kind of seem like a, a box of characteristics and, and numbers uh, so I'm not sure that that would hold up over a bunch of playthroughs um, but for this my, which was my first playthrough I really enjoyed that feeling of exploration it was cool it's kind of and this gets to what they're doing with the exploration there just aren't literally in this case that many verbs in the game right. there's move explore build what am I saying uh, oh, and then research. Yeah, move card builder are the are the basic ones. Those are the ones yeah. that you can double with your time card. And, so and those are the things too that you want to get more cards to do those things. Right. Like yeah. those are the three main verbs. So unlike something like High Frontier, where there's also do the politics, develop lasers to shoot the other guy. High Frontier is just like full of stuff. Right. John Butterfield, he's kind of parsimonious with his verbs as well, and that kind of limits how exciting a discovery can be. Um, but it gives the game, I think it makes the game playable, and it keeps it from being as crazy long as it, as it could have been. Yeah, it could have been crazy long. I think that I, I didn't actually find the discovery stuff very interesting. Okay. Um, I thought that, you know, okay, ooh, I got water so I can build this uh, whatever yeah, thing. Because I love the idea of you need water for the industrial yeah, things. Because the, so, the water is one of the few <laughs> things that I really, really like. I'm just yawning. I can't believe it. You don't it. care about discovering water on Mars. No, because oh. it doesn't... It does, the, no, it doesn't. Do. You just, the opportunity just died. It's way too soon for you to be saying that. That's oh. just rude. I, I, I can't. I can't. I, I can't find because it doesn't build on it in, in a way that I, I find evocative. I just it, it it sort of gives. Okay, there's this water, and what does it do? Um, I can build a peeth something refinery industry whatever I need. To. You need a shield factory or, or industrial. Yeah, base. it just doesn't. The, the, I think that I think the way. One of the things that I find a little disappointing about the game, and this is a, this is really a conundrum that designers have, and I don't envy them. I'm glad I'm not having to do this because I'm sure I would, I would fail utterly at trying to resolve this, is that by making the game paced as quickly or making as, as well-paced a game as this is, which I think is fairly well-paced in the sense that it moves along, 
but it really robs the bases of much character because they don't last very long and you don't get much out of it. And then a lot of these bases you're building in the last few turns and you're getting something out of it. I think the produce action, I didn't feel like we really utilized it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that you you really ride this line between getting through the game and letting the things that you created in the game do things for you. And I think that the I think the whole aliens thing is completely flubbed, but I, I just don't I mean I don't have a solution for it because I, I find that one of the things I did appreciate about the game was that I think we it went pretty fast. You know, like everybody gets to use a car it's it's a take an action, play your car, do your thing, yeah. and that's it, right? And then I can even be doing it off of one of your guys' HQs, in which case that engages you like, oh, cool, I'm going to get a card. Let me see what a card I get. And you get the card while the other person's doing it. So you're already brought, there are only three of us, and somebody might be involved in the game turn while I'm doing it because right. I gave them a card. And then they're sort of planning their new move. And, and, um, and I like that interactivity. But it also, to do that, you can't spend a lot of time detailing your creations. Right, they have to be a little bland, as you said, to sort of fit into this quickly paced game. And I think that there could have been—I um, don't know what I would have done, but I mean, okay, thing is a production to There's a natural wonder. I get to build an attraction. It, it just didn't. I still can't remember which one is the refinery and which one is the industrial. Tell me just, about. Tell me about one discovery and base that you built in the game. Like yeah. what's something you found and where? I no, can't, can you I, seriously? I, I can't. I can't. I mean, I, I remember that there was something with a with a, a life thing, but what, what did the life thing get me? I built a bio... I don't even that, know if you're saying a life thing. But, oh, I say where you discovered life. The, right, the right, discovered right. life, right? And there's a little... Right. little and, and So I discovered life. What do I do? Okay, I get to put a, a bio lab on it. And you remember we, where life was found in the universe. Like, uh, we no, just I, played a game where we mm. explored space and you discovered life right. in the universe and you don't remember where it was. Because all it got me was a bio lab that got me <laughs> one more genetics, like... Advanced. I just feel like there's some weird uh, balancing, not in time terms of, in terms of actually gameplay balance in terms of things overpowered. I think it's there's there's thematic balancing that is off. I think that discovering aliens should be some incredibly (laughs) momentous thing, right? And they could be like, "Ooh, I discovered aliens that are way more powerful than me, and they're just going to destroy everybody," right? I mean, there there are things that could. You want us to be more Martin Wallacey. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, I will say the first time I played, I, I was winning until I discovered those Phobos. And they knocked my team back, and it was a huge setback. It, it felt weirdly swingy. Interesting. Uh, but, you, you know, when you play a game, you might not find the aliens. And when you do find aliens, there's a stack of, like, five or six of them, and you only draw one of them. So yeah. the, the fact that may never happen again. Huh. But, no, I, I agree with you, is that uh, unless you're paying attention or it's something that you really want to thematically follow, the discovery of life is... Not that big of a deal. You know what I remember best about that game? What? I remember being out in, like, the, whatever, Chiron or, you know, one of sure. those things and having to get past that to... Um, the Oort Cloud. Yeah, the Oort Cloud. And what you pointed out, Tom, was that uh, that you have, if you're going to start out there... Oh, actually, it wasn't the Oort Cloud. No, because you can get to the Oort Cloud from anywhere. It was, it was one of the inner regions getting out rather than coming from earth i had to uh it was it was basically just as far coming from one of the inner uh you know out 
uh, from like Uranus or something like that to uh, Pluto because the sort of orbital separation. Right. And so I really had to think, hey, do I want do I want to launch this team from this asteroid way out in you know the edge of the galaxy or the of the solar system, uh, or do I want to use one of my inner uh, teams? Which will be um, because if there's less orbital separation, it'll, it'll have it'll require less movement. So there were these interesting questions I had to answer, um, and I, I just remember, and it was it was very evocative. Like there was this map, and it looks like you know you're way out, you're at the edge of the solar system. And how, who who does who who has an imagination is not sort of enraptured by the idea of the edge of the solar system. And right. it's way more manageable than games like Leaving Space or High right. Frontier. Right. So yeah. So I really, I really like that, and and I felt like when we flipped the interstellar part, it just felt really disappointing, and it didn't give me the same sense of of um, distance, the same sense of scope or scale. It was just, um, I don't know. Tony, name one base you found. What's the cool thing, and where did it happen? Uh, I just remember in the third era, mm-hmm. I found some aliens that, and I don't remember their name, but it was probably something like Econs. Introvs. Was no. it the Introvs? No, he found the, the Philos, the ones who loved him. Oh, oh sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah. That we had... discovered aliens in the universe. How can you guys not remember sure, that? Sure, yeah. And the I have no idea where it was. The really cool thing about this, these particular aliens was they, they gave me two colony points, which made it very easy to found found a colony there, especially considering there were there were two other uh, uh, sites in that exact area, which offered me also additional colony founding bonuses. And founding you, colonies can be something. Yeah, you had quite a, you had quite a windfall there. You got to. And that's part of this yeah. idea of dumping a bunch of stuff in your lap. Sometimes right. they all come together, and suddenly you can build this hugely expensive colony where before it was going to be prohibitively difficult because hey, there are these helpful aliens, there are these natural resources. Uh, there's some crazy. There's a small planetary system. Uh, suddenly, the colony is trivially easy to get there. And this is a little, that's a little bit of the swinginess that happened when I ran into the hostile aliens in my first game and got knocked back. Is that you find some great place and it's trivially easy to build a super difficult colony. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, can I ask a question though? You can. These colonies that we're building. Yes. Like one of them was called the. Um, well, there were domed colonies. There were the uh, colony colony priming or something like that. It could have been it could have been worse than well, it. Like, well, well, tell me. But but what what did are those colony names in the game? <laughs> he didn't even give them names. And part of my issue when I first brought it to my group was in this third era. It introduces so one of the cool things that it does as it's changing scale is each additional era layers in new mechanics. And the new mechanics that are part of the end game are founding colonies. And it gets super finicky in terms of introducing a new resource and how to calculate that. Those are colony points. And furthermore, the end result of what you're calculating, those are the actual colonies. Each colony is just an icon that you look up on the back of the manual. Uh, and so what I did for our game is I tried to come up with thematic names for the different types of colonies and then make a little sheet with that name and we would put the colonies under there. Like, I felt the need to give it some theming that John Butterfield felt it didn't need. You wrote lore for the colonies. 
I didn't write lore. I came up with with verbal aesthetic. That's lore. <laughs> uh, and I don't actually know that it helped once I sat back and was playing because. Well, I I, I don't know, but uh, I think it did for the okay. record. I mean, I, I thought it was helpful to me to look at those things and say, oh, this is the thing that does nothing. Right. This is the thing that you know. Right. Whatever. I am a big <laughs> proponent of reading rules and seeing okay, what things would be confusing to me in terms of how it's presented, and how could I write it to be less confusing when I show it to other people. Uh, and so there's just a couple of things that I thought that the game could have used. John Butterfield's obviously a war game designer, and he's used to people wanting to really lean in and read charts and lists. Uh, so, but yeah, so I uh, it's also a solitaire game, um, which you're going to be playing a lot solo, right? And the, the issue is, like so many games that are putatively solitaire games, it's not a solitaire game. It is a multiplayer game that has a fairly arbitrary cock-blocking mechanic <laughs> that it uses to make playing alone more difficult, to make it sort of a scoring challenge. Uh, and the solitaire sacrifices too much of the interplay in a multiplayer game that, that I think makes it enjoyable. So I don't think it's a solitaire game. Uh, it's a game that supports solitaire play if you're desperate, but it won't recreate the multiplayer experience. It has a lame bot that doesn't reflect anything about what the multiplayer experience is going to be. And yeah. that there's no, there are very few games that actually do recreate a human player. I wonder if John Butterfield's capable of doing such a thing. I don't think so. Oh, wait! He's written the only Hex Encounter war game uh, (laughs) solo game that actually plays a uh, a Hex Encounter war game against you. What's that? That's Enemy Action Ardennes. Oh, the game that you said Tony was too dumb to play. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I said Tony. I was like, Tony, (laughs) see this game here? It's for smart people. Right. That excludes you, (laughs) so you can't play it. All right, so if I picked uh, Discworld as my favorite thing that we played, Garrick, what would you say was your favorite thing that we played? I would have a hard time choosing between Discworld and the Space Corp. Okay, I'm putting you down for Space Corp Mm. because you can't copy my pick. Okay. T-Zone, Tony, what would you pick? What's um, your favorite thing that we played? For me, it would be between the Estates and Space oh. Corp. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, I'm going to put you down for Estates so that there's every so that more games get one vote. Now, I would... I oh, maybe Chronicle is up there, too. Sorry. Oh, okay. I make, you, I make the point that my favorite game that we played was Time of Crisis. But, I mean, I know that game. It's not, it's not something that... You should that, pick that one. Don't pick that. Don't yeah. pick that. I, I thought I meant, like, favorite game of, like, other stuff we discovered or something like that. No, favorite no. game that we played. Oh, the Time of Crisis. Okay. No, time of Cri- I, lo- I love Time of Crisis. Do you need to change your answer, Tony? No. Garrick, least favorite game that we played. <laughs> I know the answer to that. It begins with a the and ends with a chronicle. Uh, no, it's not the chronicle. It's just, it's just chronicle. chronicle. I would say chronicle or New Angeles. Need one answer because I know what Tony's going to pick. <laughs> New Angeles, then. <laughs> Tony, is there a consensus between you and Bruce on uh, New Angeles? Hard consensus on New Angeles. I could see. I could see myself. Like, like I said, I got up this morning. I was thinking about Chronicle. Like, eh, I, I, I want to break that out again. I, I was going to say, like, if Tom slept in like really long again, uh, I was. <laughs> this thinking, <is> <laughs> I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe we'll. Uh, but I can't really can't really play Chronicle right. two player. I was thinking of that, you know, whatever, but. But I was thinking about playing Chronicle again. Yeah. I am never thinking about playing New Angels again, yeah. ever. It's just not going to happen. No interest. If somebody said, hey, you want to come over for, Chron- for uh, Chronicle? I'd say, mm, maybe. But if I, somebody said New Angels, I'd be like, no, forget it. Don't take me off your Angelus list. Yeah. Please unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. Right. Straight to you guys from the New Angelus list. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
I would pick, and I'm realizing what an easy sell I am. Like, I, I liked all of these. Uh, but if I had to put one at the bottom of the list of games that we played, all of which I liked, I'm afraid it would be Time of Crisis, yeah. just because I feel like That's I reasonable. didn't really get to play yeah, it the sure. way it should yeah. be played. But not the and, second time you play it. Well, and also because I didn't get to play Fort Sumter. I was not pressed into service oh, for yeah, that well, particular yeah, duty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, All right, thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Quarter to Three Board Games Podcast, our Board Gaming Holiday Edition. Thank you guys for listening. I will be back next week with uh, Mike and Hassan, and I will talk to you guys then. Cheers. Cheers.